<laughs> that's a good way to put it man it is a it is a trip living the dream in someone else's nightmare yeah dude it definitely is more of a trip now than it has been in a long time i don't know if that's good or bad you know what's a tr- oh you know what i'm gonna do matthew hmm. i am going to fix your name down at the bottom uh, tell me what what's your instagram letter by letter it is uh it is just at M A T T B E A U D R E A U. I got that right. Far too long of a name. Yes, you did. I was so happy when Mark Bell asked you how to say your name. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Now I don't have to do that. That's hilarious. Yeah, dude. I, I never. So good. I always tell you, I never, I never know. When I, France how did your dad say it? Matt, you told him Matthew Baudreau. Yeah, they say Bodro. That's how I grew up. But we Californianed it up, man. I was born and raised out here. I go speak in Canada or France, or they say it all French, and it sounds way cooler. But yeah, how do uh, they say it? Oh, dude, I can't. I would have to French it up. It's like you know, Bojro, you know, Bojro. Like, uh, my name in Armenian is Matosian. Okay, and it, yeah, yeah. My last name Matosian, and then just the you know the way I tell, just like the dude at the Matosian. sports club, Matosian. Yeah, Matosian. yeah, exactly. What's your name Sevan Matosian. Yeah, yeah. It just it makes it clear how much lazier we are in America. I think <laughs> my when people say my name, it exposes all the uh, racism in um in people. I love it. Like I tell a Mexican, there are a lot of Mexicans where well, a lot of Mexicans where you live too. Yeah, hey, yeah. What's your name, Sevan? Oh, Esteban, nice to meet you. Esteban, oh, yeah. racist motherfucker. I just think you're racist. <laughs> and, and, and black people have no problem saying it because they, they got made up names like mine too. And yeah, just, their parents just make shit up. Yeah. <laughs> and white people, fucking, they expose their race and they can't fucking. Savon, Savon. What the fuck is wrong with you? That's awesome. Savon. Savon, yeah. So I just sad. like it. I just think everyone's just horribly racist when they say my name. I like, expose their biased they're oh, racist so cultural funny, biased i wonder if your parents are hooking you up like that from the beginning on purpose man good for them <laughs> no <laughs> oh that's awesome i went to armenia and this guy's like uh why did your parents name you sevon i go what's armenian name they're like yeah but no one here has that name it's a lake i was like oh oh got it yeah thanks, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> like naming awesome. your kid tahoe the tahoe <laughs> fuck i wish we did i wish we had gotten all these ideas out before i had kids dude when i when i when you came on my radar i was super interested in you because of um your uh and feel free to change any of my words is just my observation but your obsession your dedication um to kids mm-hmm. um and to making sure that they were in my terms um capable in, in the universe, like super duper capable. You yeah. wanted to make capable human beings. Yeah. And then as I started researching you, um, before I jumped on the podcast, uh, last night as I'm calling through all the stuff, it's crazy how much stuff you've done. The f- I had no idea you had a fighting background. That's a trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's a, uh, it's like, a, it feels like a past life, you know, it was just yesterday, but it was also a whole nother, a whole nother life ago, man. So, but I mean, obviously super grateful. It's one of those things you look back and there's so many, so many growth opportunities coming from that. And so much you learn, you know, mostly about myself. Right. And I think you have a lot of guys that'll fight and say the same kind of thing, but um, so many lessons I learned about myself, the network part of that is, has been great and being able to stay in contact with those guys, man. But 
um, yeah, that whole experience, man, a big, a big part of my upbringing altogether. Very much so. I was talking with the producer of the show and I was, uh, uh, Matt, Matt Souza. Yeah. And I was telling him that I think that we get the level of, um, we get the level of people on the podcast based on my insecurities, based on my lack of belief in myself. And then when I looked at who you've had on your podcast, I started tripping. It started giving me like fucking crazy anxiety because like, I can't get those people because I can't ask those people because I don't believe in myself enough. Why you, are you following me? I'm yeah, I do follow you, but why? Because they're because they're adults. You're, you're, because they're but, adults. They're smart. Yeah, they're adults. Yeah. yeah uh, you and, had you had uh, Jordan Peterson's daughter, um, Seth Godin, Mark Bell. I'm, I'm I'm going way out. Like having you on is freaking me out. Like you run schools, man. Like, like I see you as like like the principal. Gary V, Tony Blower, Patrick Bet David, Dennis Prager. Like I would have to fucking put on a diaper. Dave Rubin, Charlie Kirk. Well, see, and that's Charlie what I Kirk's could, like, like, what do you just, why didn't you just invite a brain onto your show? That's the whole dude to him, Ben Greenfield. And I'm not saying that to add more names. I'm just saying that Tim every, Kennedy, Rogan Hadley, every one of these, Pedro's Kalian. I'm just like, <laughs> what the fuck is this guy fucking nuts? You're yeah. either, you're either extremely naive or you have a ton of self-confidence. Both. I'm sure. I'm headed straight to the. I think the only way I can do it is if I even double down on the naiveness. It's I'm going. I'm going both, man. I'm probably <laughs> self confident because I'm ultra naive. I don't know. I don't know which one comes first in that. But the reality is, it's it, you are absolutely right there. In the I just get to sit back and listen to brilliant people like you, and and I, you can name all those names, and they're all freaking rad humans, and they were amazing to sit and and talk to and learn from. And it was just as much fun to sit down and talk to you and learn from you. I was genuinely sad because um, I remember very clearly having you on and, and uh, I had somebody that was coming to camp that was driving multiple hours. It was a buddy of mine from college was driving multiple hours to come here because he wanted me to help him start a school like this uh, up where he is. And so he and his wife were coming down and they were going to spend a few hours here. And um, I was genuinely sad that we had to, I mean, we almost kind of cut our episode short, man, because I was just having a great time listening to you, connecting with you and learning from you. So you're right there. You're right there in that same boat, man. Make no mistake. You have, you have three kids. Yes, sir. And you have three schools. Yes, sir. Uh, Currently. And your schools, when I say you have three schools, you, are you the principal at those schools or am I projecting a paradigm that doesn't even fit to your yeah, school even have principals? Yeah, it's a, that's a good question, man. We don't have principals. I'm the founder. I'm the owner. Um, but no, we don't have principals. You know, the quickest way to shift the paradigm for everybody is um, I, I tell everybody that our ideal day on, on any one of our campuses is that the adults don't even show up. Um, the students don't notice and it doesn't matter because nothing changes. And when I say nothing changes, I don't mean, oh, okay, well then your schools are a bunch of kids running around batshit crazy, Lord of the flies. And of course it doesn't matter if the adults are there. What I mean is the adults don't have to be there and it still runs like a fortune 500 company. And that's a very different thing. One of the first things you said, you know, was kind of my obsession with, um, making young people capable. And I think the only thing I would change on that is my obsession is, reminding humanity that young people are capable, right? Mm -hmm. Not it's, that's a different, that's a different thing because we have been trained not to trust 
children, which is turned into a bunch of shitty adults that raise children that sometimes, yeah, maybe I guess you can't trust them, but if you can't trust them, it's because you can't trust the adult that raised them usually. So um, it's a reminder that we are entirely capable uh, of so much more. And so that's the kind of responsibility that we are um, projecting on our kids. So we don't need you know, a principle, our whole goal is to turn everything over to the young heroes as quickly as humanly possible. Easier said than done. Um, and, and as a process and there's systems involved, um, but when it takes root, holy shit, man, it, it is the, it is like nothing you've ever seen. It really isn't. Could I ask you, um, are you, are you on a computer? Yeah. Is it is it a is it a laptop? No, sir. It's a desktop. Hmm. Couldn't you push oh, it back a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> I just your your head is being cropped. No, no. You don't have to go back. Can you push your computer back? Um, but I'm I don't want to lose your audio. Or maybe tilt the screen up a little bit so we get a little yeah, more of your well, your your head. Screens. It's not bad. I'm just I'm just. Well, it's yeah. Just, yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. It's the tilt. And what's the name of the school? School. So. So we are part of a global network, and I definitely would want to mention that too. So, but we are Acton Academy, A C T O N. A lot of people say action, but there's no I in there. So Acton Academy. The ones I own are the Act. It's Acton Academy Placer, P L A C E R, which everybody says Placer. If you're not from California, Placer is just the name of the county that we're in. Um, and so, like you said, we have three campuses here. I will need to open more here in California. Um, but I'm also part of the governance council for our entire movement, kind of our entire network. Um, and we are opening as many campuses as we can globally. Um, and when I say as many as we can, I mean, and doing it right. Um, there are applications in right now, I think 17, 18,000 applications in of people that want to open these. Um, we're going through a hardcore filter. Did you say 17,000? Yeah, it's bananas. It's bananas because people know. If you went through an application every single day, you couldn't get through them all in you know, there's um, an entire 50 years. Team. There's an entire team. Well, that's, that's like 51 years do, right? at it's one like, a day. Well, good. Nah, dude, look at that. Look at that, Matt. Charlie Kirk, who? You know? I have amazing third Charlie grade math Kirk skills. Who? I have amazing <laughs> third grade math skills. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, Three times 17. I mean, it's just hardwired. Man, done. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. So, but there's a team, and it's easy enough to. You know, there are some things that are that are easy enough to filter out. Right. But, um, you know, we're looking for the best of the best of the best. And that's why if we know phenomenal so Tim Kennedy. Right. And I went to him and, and as we're building out Apogee in our program and he's you know, he's learning about these schools and he's going, dude, I need to do this. Like, I need to do this. So I just got on the phone and said, hey, there's a guy, Tim Kennedy. He's got his application in the pipeline. Find it and move it forward. Like done deal today. Like, let's go. Cause that's a guy that, that, you know, we need in the front. So, um, but yeah, man, it's a great, it's a great movement. Um, when, when I say that, um, Matthew was involved in fighting, um, he wasn't just involved in like, just like any fighting, like you were, you were, you were working with Ken Shamrock for your nine fights, right? Yeah. Frank mostly actually, but I worked with Ken as well. Yeah. So I, I grew up, um, it's kind of a funny, my dad, you know, wanted me to be an athlete. My dad was a, uh, was a wrestler. My dad was a pretty hard, uh, just kind of a hard fellow in general. And, um, I remember he hit you. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Is that what you mean by hard? Like he drank and hit you. Is that what uh, he never do my dad's never had a touch of alcohol in his life? Wow, uh, sober hitting. Yeah, sober Impre- impre- like just, impressive. Yeah, he just he's totally just, impressive. So he grew up getting beat up a little bit and he just kind of had that temper. He looked like um Rocky, he looked like Sylvester Stallone in Rocky Four. Right. Okay. And he was training to fight the Russian, like kind of looked like that face, face wise, build wise. He was just a kind of a hard ass dude, um, worked in law enforcement, like worked in the prison system here in California, but should have lived there kind of guy. You kind, um, you kind of are right. That's, that's a, a whole nother subject. But yeah, if you, if you watch, it's the same thing. Like if you kill people now, you are also a killer. Like, don't forget that. Yep. If, if you work in the prison, if you're holding people guard, you are now also a prisoner. I, I know people struggle with that. For sure, man. And a lot of those guys that that gravitate towards that, I find kind of naturally ride that line. Right. And then you, that whole, you know, adage, if you look too, you know, long into the abyss, you know, you become that monster. And and I think that was true for a lot of, definitely was true for him and and for his buddies. So you are uh, the five people you hang out with the most. That's right, man. And we're just mirrors here. We're just hanging out with Charlie Manson and a bunch of hoods. You know, I mean, that was, was he at San Quentin? Was he at San Quentin? He was it. He was at San Quentin Alder in the eighties. Yep. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, man. At San Quentin Alder oh, in the eighties. And so, you know, and then went to a different prison in the nineties, oh, a different prison in his last 10 years, yeah. so 30 years in that. So, you know, and, you I, know my, and I, my wife taught yoga at San Quentin. No way. Crazy. Right. To the, to the inmates or to the, to the guards. Yeah. One of yeah to the in, same, same. <laughs> yeah, no, same to thing. the inmates, but I just think it's fascinating. Like the, it's just fascinating. San Quentin. The, yeah, it, for people who don't know, I don't know if it's big worldwide, but in the Bay Area, in San Francisco, and in California, San Quentin, everyone knows San Quentin. Yeah, man, it's that's the, where you that's drive across. To, yeah, and and in the eighties too. I mean, it was more of a um, some of the fucking some of the stories, dude, that came out of there. It was like the Wild West, right? It wasn't as um, there's so much more regulation now. There's so much more there, so much more inmate rights now, right? It's like they can do, I mean, they really have carte blanche on what they can do, medical procedures, but like whatever, right? In the eighties, it was open. So there was a whole lot of other stuff going on where it was like the guards would be like, Hey, is anybody looking cool? Open my cell. I'm going to go in and fuck this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there was a whole yeah. lot of crazy shit going down. Um, so he's a, you know, he's this kind of rough dude and is he uh, alive. Uh, he is. Yeah. Okay. Um, he is, uh, lives in Georgia. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I'm this youngster and, and he's, he's, he's kind of pushing and prodding, wants me to play sports. I didn't really have any sports that were really like kind of, kind of, you know, getting me excited other than, um, you know, I had some of the Bruce Lee movies and, and shit like that. And I was getting a little bit mm-hmm. excited about some of the martial arts stuff, but I actually asked to go play basketball. He's like, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a five, nine white dude. Like you got no chance of, you know, basketball being a thing. I'm like, Oh no, I think that's what I want to do. So he signs me up for this camp as I'm a little kid and I walk in with my basketball and some kid runs over and snatches it from me. And I start crying and just bawling my eyes out. And my dad's like, cool, man, you're going to either suck it up and go back in, or I've got a different sport for you tomorrow. I'm like, this basketball thing sucks. Like these guys are mean. Um, and so he took me to go, uh, start, kind of kickboxing the next the next day and basketball's and, uh, too hard so i did <laughs> yeah so my so kid got, wants to do basketball pretty bad yeah he has no chance of being over five five but i mean i'm gonna yeah. let him do it but yeah give it a go um uh, yeah might as well so yeah so martial arts started early man so i actually did taekwondo and kickboxing growing up um and then uh 
yeah, I was 20, 21, about to graduate from college. And I saw these dudes grappling and, and that's what first introduced me to, to mixed martial arts at kind of the early heyday of that. And so ended up having nine fights and, and working with Frank for, for most of it and got invited to be part of the Lions then with Ken, uh, as they were moving to, there was this league coming up called the IFL and he was going to have a team out of Reno. And, um, I went and fought on one of his promotions and he asked me to, um, come try out for the Lions then and stuff too. So yeah, it was, it was a cool, uh, it was a cool experience, man. Cool, cool few years. You were telling a story um, about how you're you were in the car with your dad, mm. and um, the the there were these two boys who were picking on you at school, mm-hmm. and your dad knew about it, and they were bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And you tell the story that you then your dad says, "Are those the boys?" And you say, "Yeah." And he stops the car and tells you to get out. Mm-hmm. It's like some it's it's some pretty cinematic shit. And then the story stopped. Some like you like any great podcast host mm-hmm. mark bell is you you able to go anywhere and, and that story stopped and you went to a different story did you get so for me can you tell me what happened after that yeah is that a good way to raise your kids like to you know greg glassman had something similar like that i'll tell you after you tell your story it's pretty yeah. it's pretty crazy having your yeah. dad tell you i can't imagine my dad telling me to go hit someone to get out and go fight yeah i, yeah, I, I have no judgment on it i don't know how to process yeah. it my whole i i get scared hearing the story yeah, I'm all for battling the the dragons, man, and getting your kids, you know, uncomfortable. And, and I don't think that that's necessarily the uh, the lesson that that needs to be learned or how to go about that. I, I see. I'm very grateful for. I'm grateful for for him. I mean, we don't talk um, at all, but I'm grateful for him, and I'm grateful. Is that for your him. fault or his fault? Yeah, our fault. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's mutual. You, you passed. I was trying to throw you. I was trying to fuck you up. Yeah. Good, yeah. good, good move. Good. Yeah. Move. No, it's definitely, it's definitely ours. It's definitely a mutual, um, mutual decision, different reasoning, I think, but mutual decision. Um, he doesn't like your mustache. You don't like his beard. He does dude. He wishes he had multicolors. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a, he's a monochromatic bearded guy. And and I got, I got a couple different things going on, whatever the hell is going on on this. Um, so he tells you to get out of the car and do, do you yeah. get out and do it? Is it, mm-hmm. is it get hit by him or, or, or take your chances with those guys? Are those the options? That's kind of where my head goes. You know, at that time I was nine, I think I was nine, you know, I was in, I was in fourth grade. I was in fourth grade. Those two guys were in fifth. One guy was named, um, I still remember, I mean, one guy was named Jesse and the other one was named high. Um, so I don't know where they are today, but I hope they're okay. Um, and so, yeah, it was like, get out and, and go, man. And so Jesse was first and he just happened to be closest. And so, I uh, just ran. I mean, they didn't know. I mean, they were 10, 11, you know, they didn't know right. what was going on. They knew who I was and it was happening, but it was weird for them too. So I got out hit, you know, and I, and I remember hitting Jesse and, and then I just remember all three of us kind of on the ground, you know, and, and on top of each other. And then my dad, you know, pulled me out and he yells at those guys and they, you know, were like, what the fuck just happened? And, um, so there was no serious injuries. There was no, it wasn't this long lasting squabble. It was just more a matter of him being like, man, get out and do this. Um, you know, so get out, got out and did it. And and then did got you, back did in. you, did it, um, did you learn anything Were you like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. Or like, did, um, did it help you? Or like, did you go home and cry and be like, Oh man, I wish I wouldn't have hit that kid. Or was it more like, Oh, that, that was, I mean, what was you your know, reflection on that? Yeah, I wish I could say, if I'm completely honest, that was just one of those. It was just like another thing um, as a young oh. kid where I'm like, okay, all right. I know there's a lesson there, I guess. But I, God, I really don't like dad that much. 
um, and he makes me do crazy shit. You know what I mean? And, right. and so it wasn't anything that I could really reflect on until I was older. Um, it had nothing to do with those kids. It was you. Everything was about managing you and your dad's relationship and uh, surviving, 100%, trying man. to survive. That's it. And so when I did finally reflect on it, whenever that was, as I was older, it was really just more of a reflection on his mindset and how interesting that was to me. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I, I really do. I don't, uh, I don't harbor any ill will towards him, even though I don't necessarily like him as an individual. Um, I really don't harbor any ill will and I'm very grateful for the lessons I got. And I really think that there is a, you know, for whatever psychosomatic way you want to look at it, I think that's a big reason that I am the dad that I am, that I'm, you know, driven the way that I am is, is a lot of it is, you know, he became kind of this anti-hero and he had a lot of good qualities too. You know, I, I don't want to miss that, but, um, he became kind of the anti-hero for this is who I definitely don't want to be. And so I kind of took a hard turn going the other way in a lot of ways. I'm going through some shit right now um, with my parents. Mm. Um, they're not going, th- well, I don't know if they're going through it, but I'm going through it because as I, I was raised um, with these like um, heroes, you know, like the Diane Feinsteins and the, yeah. and the Gavin Newsom's and, and all of these people who are now um, jeopardizing my kids' actual existence in my life. Yeah. And I was raised to like not uh, with a very in the Bay Area with a very subtle um, dislike for country, um, yep. hatred towards Republicans, um, yep. lie at any cost to maintain the the narrative. I was basically just lied to for forty years about what what it means to be a Democrat. I thought a Democrat was um, you're a tree hugger. Um, you all you want is peace and love, honesty, integrity above everything. Yeah, and and I realized it's actually. Do you think is that what it was though? Was that, you know, for a while, maybe that's what it was. Maybe, 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 you know, I kind of tend to, because I get, yeah, I get that, man. I I tend to, as I'm looking at uh, an older, you know, the older population that still considers themselves, we've always been Democrat or hardcore Democrat, at least in my, at least in my circle. I mean, those, they, it used to be just a, um, it used to be that it was more that and really kind of this love is more what I guess we would call libertarian today i think um and you know when i knew something was weird i was a kid and the it's so funny i told myself i was just going to talk about your school because i'm oh, so dude, I don't go where everyone would go anywhere um when i was a kid the anti-smoking yeah rhetoric became so fucking intense that i started thinking that uh, i was like i was seeing some nazi shit in it Oh yeah, you started identifying that early. Yeah, as a kid, I was like, okay, uh, but it's pro- I don't remember how old I was. I remember when yeah. I was probably sixteen or seventeen. There was a massive anti-smoking movement in the United States. Yeah, and I'm like, whoa, this is like, this is this is a little much. Just like, I get it, I get it that it's bad. Yeah, but but, um, tr- treating people like this is they're like we're gonna become. You don't want to like that's the that's the that's the that's the problem like these it's the prison guard thing like you don't let's say you're totally let's say you're a hundred percent for the vaccine you are a hundred percent certain that it saves all human lives you don't want to be the person who forces other people to take it yeah. it makes you a monster yeah. Yeah, like yeah. do it for yourself like no matter how bad cigarette smoking is do not do not it's it's the same thing we send these boys over. To fight the bad guys in the Middle East, you have to remember that we're creating murderers. Yeah. You yeah. have to – like you you, you want to put Charles Manson to death with the gas chamber. He's a bad guy. He raped and killed, blah, blah, blah. But you, someone has to do it. Who's going to become the murderer, me or Matthew? 
Mm-hmm. Matthew, are you going to pull the trigger? Or am I going to pull the trigger? Because well, so yeah, the court says he has to be killed. Like yeah. we, we, there's an equation for everything. Yeah, and that's why when and that's why when you do kill somebody, there's always two guys. You know, whether it's whatever it is, right? There's lethal injection. There's two guys hitting a hitting a button for the plunger. There's two guys dropping the pill um, in the gas chamber. There's two guys. So that way, yeah. I don't think that that I, I don't think, think that fixes it, it though. I think no, no, it doesn't fix it. Not at all. Not at all. But at least gives the illusion of we care about that. Yes. But yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's exactly right, man. Yeah, it's a um, it's interesting. It's a re- it's religiosity at best. I mean, but a hardcore propaganda right becoming that guy that nobody likes of just like look this is what you got to do yeah that's interesting why do you, how do you think you recognize that at a young age um i don't know um because i remember part, it but i definitely didn't but, but part of me is um um very I, I don't know how I have this skill, but I'm so thankful for it. Um, I don't I don't do a lot of ad hominem and I don't drag people into the conversation. And so yeah. in that, so for instance, if you were there smoking a cigarette telling me how bad smoking is, a lot of people would be like, Well, he's a hypocrite. Like I would never go there. Mm. I yep. would see you as just a dude who's smoking, who's telling me smoking's bad. What what does dragging you into the conversation? we're talking about yeah. smoking being bad? Yeah. What does yeah. like? Why the fuck am I even looking? It's it, yeah. and, and there's a Taoist saying that says I'm pointing at the moon and you're staring at my hand. Yeah. And that's all. It's it's um, it's because we live with such selfish people. They have no ability to. It's like the other day I I posted yesterday I posted a picture of like hey look well, look what they're feeding my kids they're feeding my kids Gatorade, um uh goldfish and um juice boxes yeah. and that's they're feeding my kids poison and all these parents got defensive and like we're commenting on my instagram how dare you judge us we feed our kids that how dare you call it poison it's not poison so i wrote the definition of poison out and i go it is poison and there's no reason to be offended i feed my kid the same shit too yeah. i use an iphone that's made by child labor i'm not yeah. in denial if I yeah. tell you, you scumbag, you're using a phone by child labor that's made by child labor, and you say, "Well, so are you." That like, what? Yeah. I like for me, that's not a response. Yep. yep. Oh, my response to you then would be like, "Okay, now let's move forward and talk about the subject. You're using a phone that's used by child labor. Like, don't deny the fact you feed your kid poison. You don't have to defend it. That's right. That's right. Well, just that- own it. Be like, "Yep, yesterday yep. I, it was my kid's birthday. I fucking brought home a big old pile of poison." Yep. And then if you don't think it's poison, just look up the definition. Words have meanings. That's right. The ability to separate, I think, the intellectual and the emotional on that, though, I think is um, an indicator, at least in my experience, that's an indicator for me of somebody who is self-confident, though. Um, I think you have to have a peace of mind that only comes with actual confidence uh, in order to to be able to do that and to be able to separate that. Um, I, I really, I really do. Um, so uh, kudos to you because I, I agree 100%. It's not a personal attack um, and it doesn't, you know, discredit the fact that we will own up to our own bullshit on that too. Yeah, it's Very it's much. okay. It's okay to know. We all know picking our nose is wrong. Yeah. We all do it. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yep. It's okay. I, yep. I don't know if wrong is the right word, but you but you feel me on. There was yeah. something I saw. Oh, did I see this on your did I see this on um Oh man, I have so many questions here. Oh, let me ask, let me shift here for a second. What is Socratic discussion? You, you use that word. I looked up the definition. I already forgot what it is. Um, what is Socratic discussion? Yeah, hard is, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to define, I guess. It's a harder thing to do, but the reality is in education, um, good questions are infinitely better than good answers, 
right? I mean, that's that's really what um, our whole shtick is about is that we want people to continue curiosity. For us. So for us, when we're talking about um, being Socratic, we are talking about the fact that our guides, the adults on campus, are not going to ever answer any questions, right? We're going to do the whole Morpheus thing of asking you a question in return to see what you think and why you think it. Um, and everything we do is to get you to come to those conclusions um, on your own, whatever those might be, without any uh, um, you know, pretense of us saying, well, your answer should be this, but what do you think? It's like, no, what do you what do you think? And how do we extrapolate those? Mr. Bodro, can I use the bathroom? What is the protocol around that? How do you do that? Why do you, you know, who, who can you ask if you're not sure? Who oh, excuse me, Mr. Bodro. I have to use the restroom. I'll be back in two minutes. See you later. I mean, it's really that it's, it's not, it's Mr. not. Mr. Bodro, do, do masks work? <laughs> what do you think about that? Okay. Right. I mean, it's really, it's not. It's what do you what do you think about that? What have you heard about that? Um, it's just exploring what their experience is, because the beauty is they're going to have Savon's going to have a different experience of that because his parents have taught him this. Oh, I get his it. Religion has said this. And, and then I have a different experience. And so then we want them to have those conversations. Right. I can actually sit down and uh, give rationale, give reasoning behind why I say I believe what I believe. But then I also learned to listen to Savon, who says, well, I believe something completely different. And we go, okay, cool. Well, what do you believe? And let's both compare. Let's compare evidence. Let's chat back and forth. And really, at the end of the day, we may not come to a conclusion on this particular topic. We may actually find out that we don't necessarily agree with each other. And then we can also learn that, well, that's okay. We can still be friends because the reality is nobody on this planet agrees with you on 100% of everything. So, you know, we have those kind of conversations, but we will frame we want them to understand how to think, right? So we'll frame some of these. There, you said it. We want them well. to understand how to think. How to and that's think. what you were doing to me just now. It's, you weren't telling me what to think. You were you were giving me the opportunity to practice thinking. To practice thinking, right? And so then we'll give more thought exercises too, where we might say, um, "Okay, Savon, here's a um, here's a, an example of a Socratic discussion we did during a um, a NASA a NASA Ooh. quest." Right. So we did a project around around uh, around NASA, around space. So and I say, OK, um, let's give you a little background context. Savon. I'm going to show you uh, the Challenger, you know, when the Challenger went up from 1986, 1987. Right. And, and we're going to show you the actual um, like you and I watched it when we were kids in school. And then the spaceship goes up and, and it explodes. Right? And then then we're going to show you. Ronald Reagan's address to the nation at that time. And, and he's going to come on and he's going to talk about how we need to, you know, come back and honor these guys and, and what we need to do. But now I want to put you in a situation. So Savon, you are now Ronald Reagan. You are now the president of the United States. This just happened in the United States. Do you a double NASA's funding so that something like this never, ever, ever happens again, or do you be dismantle NASA altogether so that nothing like this ever happens again? Mm. Where do you go with this? Right. And we'll pose these a and B questions and just kind of continue down the reasoning with why, 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 why. And a lot of times what we'll do is intentionally pose a or B questions that are completely opposite sides of the spectrum. And a lot of times people will go, okay, well, the answers a lot of times are in these gray areas in the middle. Probably. Yeah. But it's a better thought exercise if we pose two extremes and then let you have to 
go, oh, okay, I've got to make a hard decision. I've got to pick one. If I've got to pick one, I'm going to pick this one. And I'm going to try to rationalize here because even if your real true answer is right there in the middle, you're forced to have to think what are the what are the extremes, right? And when you can understand extremes on things, you can usually get more comfortable with talking about why you believe somewhere in the middle is more of a right answer, right? Because you understand. Oh, really? That is the natural, that is the natural consequence of that. It's just, that's thinking, right? You, uh, you can understand how to, it's, it just makes more sense because you've looked at, it just makes a more scientific observation of you're looking at these extremes, right? It's, it's true science. True science is that scientific method of Uh, wanting to exhaust all the options, right? And so if I've gone to this extreme over here and this extreme over here, well, now I can more readily be comfortable with wherever my, my real answer lies. And your answer might come to be one of those extremes. It might be, but at least you are theoretically exhausting that full spectrum of thought in order to come to, to whatever conclusion it is. Most people just repeat. Most people just go because somebody I like said this, or because my mom said this, or because society said this versus actually having a thought exercise of what are the full, you know, what's the full extremity of what are all the answers that could possibly be that the true scientific method rarely comes out. And so that's what the Socratic method is intended to do is really get into the science behind thinking, really exhaust all the options and come to a conclusion Ultimately, of course, being, you know, hopefully humility is involved in there too, understanding that if better evidence comes along, well, then I'll go ahead and shift my ideas. So, so the Socratic method is, um, good questions are better than good answers. That's a big that part. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, to, I'm totally bragging here. I had a friend the other day call me and say to me, Hey, I'm no longer, um, pro-choice. I'm like, Oh, what's up? And, and and I'm soon as he tells me that I know how fucking cool I am because yeah. there's so many people you can't talk to about stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But totally. like me, you could talk totally. about anything. Yep. I like there's, there's, there's one or two subjects that I, I, I had a, I had a, there's one or two subjects ar- around kids that I, that I will not bend on that. If someone starts going down that Avenue, yeah. I will become, uh, I will push back. I'm not interested yeah. in hearing any, anything you have to say about it. But other than that, and he said, so and I and I'm and I'm I would say that I'm pro. I, I would I don't know. I'll just say I would say that I don't believe I don't believe in giving women uh, putting laws on women's bodies. And mm-hmm. for from um, I also don't believe believe in um, abortion. But I would never put a law on a woman's body because I just mm-hmm. think it's a slippery slope. Like mm-hmm. it, it sets precedent, and and I yeah. think that that's really important. But anyway, so I said, hey, what's the deal? Um, how, w- tell me your thought process. He goes, well, when a a woman has control over her body and she can say what she does and doesn't do. But the second she has intercourse with a man and uh, unprotected sex and the, and the sperm goes in her, then she, everything's changed. That was where her control, her dominion over her body begins and ends. The second you allow, have sex with a man, you, um, you, you lose that. And I was like, wow, like I was so glad that he told me that. Yeah. I thought that that was like really, really like well thought out. Yeah. I don't know if I agreed with him or didn't agree with him, but I, in, right. I'm 49 years old and I had never heard that. Yeah. And nor <laughs> yeah. have I. And I think that, but that's just the like, of it. but I was so like, I'm the shit that my friends can have this and conversation. And have that conversation. I'm not like, fuck you. You hate women. You motherfucker. Totally. Like, I don't know. Totally. I don't have any of that. Yeah. Totally. I don't know. It, does, it says, it does say a whole lot more about, and imagine if people could do that. Right. Like it does say it does. It says a lot about you that he was able to go out and, 
exercise that train of thought. And he's going, hmm, this is an interesting way of looking at it. I've never thought about it this before. I'd love to bounce this off of Savon and see, you know, and kind of play that and kind of play that out. Um, Cause that's really, you know, I don't even think that's more, I don't even think that's a test of you. I think that's more him testing out his theory, going to somebody yes. who respects and figuring out for himself where he is on that spectrum. He's figuring it out for himself and he knows you're a good spot to be able to do that. I think that's a beautiful freaking thing, man. That's a, that's a, a workmate too. Yes. Yeah. A workmate, like someone yep. I worked with for 15 years. Like that's not like a common, just calls me one day and drops that on me. That's yeah. That's cool, man. That's a good thing. That's yeah. I, I was tripping, but, and I, and I, I want to have, and maybe you can help me with this. I want to have people on my podcast mm -hmm. who know how to think because, so we're living in this world where they're telling us the, the choices. And that's why I felt like I got a little, maybe a little defensive inside when you told me you give the kid the choices, but I understand it now. Um, and then I, we'll go ahead. Sorry, and I don't, I don't want to interrupt on that too. But when I'm talking about given given choices too, there is also a a graduated um, kind of scale for that too. So so again, talking through um, extremes, you've got your your normal belief in society that you just can't trust children. Period, and you need to be the overlord of their lives. Then you huge have huge mistake, huge right, mistake. huge mistake. Then you've got the other end of the spectrum where it's like, no, my three-year-old is a sovereign individual. Every single thing he or she does and decides is absolutely correct. That's also a big mistake, right? And so you have this whole graduated scale too. Clearly, if you go, okay, my six-month-old is completely sovereign and, and I'm just going to leave them alone for a few months and he or she has it. Well, that's, you know, you would see how ludicrous that thought is. And so there's this graduated through throughout development, you start teaching early on how to make choices by presenting them with only good choices, right? When we've got our four-year-olds and our five-year-olds and we're saying, Hey, we want you to make a choice on this. I'm only going to, you know, give them choices, A, B, C, and D that I are all going to be good, solid choices. Then they get used to making choices. They start seeing what good choices look like. They can't conceptually, they can't rationalize what's a good choice and bad all the time, right there. But the longer they do that, the more they do that, the more good examples they have around them, the quicker they're able to develop um, kind of that own internal compass of a good choice, bad choice, you know, kind of deal. So um, it's, it's, there's, there's, it's just such a nuanced sort of thing. So I just want to make sure I said, I said that too. Yeah. I, 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 I finally got my head wrapped around. I think what you were saying, I think it's anytime anyone asks you if you're pro-life or pro-choice or the abortion idea comes up, I think the smartest and most conscious people in the room rethink the entire thing like they've never heard it before. It's a very serious issue. Yep, Killing babies, is. putting laws over women's bodies. You shouldn't have a stance on it. If you have a stance on it, I would say I would be willing to bet my finger um, – against your house that you are um unconscious what do i mean by unconscious on autopilot you're just giving an answer it's it autopilot. is yeah yep. and yeah uh yeah i was gonna yeah. go somewhere with this but i'm gonna i'm gonna switch gears again there's there, there was something you said about independence um and and, and i don't remember where my notes uh, unfortunately i've screwed my notes aren't detailed enough you had independence um, uh, somehow uh, in relationship with responsibility, does that ring a bell? Yeah. I mean, the, it, the freedom and responsibility link 
um, for us is a, is definitely a non, a non-negotiable link. We want people to understand personal responsibility matters and, and freedom matters. And those things are, they're, you know, the two sides of the same coin, um, kind of deal. So that's whether parenting or whether here on our, on our schools, I mean, that is, that is one of the messages that, um, is woven in not just verbally, but systemically as well. So it made me think of something. I, um, I was, I was homeless for, uh, two years. Then I lived in a car for five years and I was extremely free and I had, um, and I was, I had an incredible, I was, um, like you, I was very, very disciplined. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I woke up the same time every morning. I practiced my drawing. I still worked out every day. Yep. I went to the coffee shop. I had this routine and, um, and all my peers, unfortunately, when you're homeless, you really, all of my peers were drug addicts. Mm-hmm. It, it was really sad. Mm-hmm. They weren't doing what they weren't doing what I was doing. Yep. But when I was homeless, I was extremely free yep. and, it, um, and, because I had crazy independence, yep. I could get, I, I was, I had overcome all sorts of fear. People are terrified of being homeless, terrified, Yep. terrified. But so you overcome that fear and then you learn how to get food and you learn how to, where to sleep and where it's safe. And you start to really, really need so little and you yep. have so much personal responsibility yep. and so much personal accountability. And with that, your happiness just fucking flourishes mm-hmm. it, it, it really it, it, i can't say this because my ego won't let me i, I want to say that since i've had kids it's the happiest days of my life but if you if you caught me in a more honest mood i might even say um when i was homeless it was nuts yeah. how happy I, I was i believe that is is that kind of what you're doing too you're you teach a man to be able to dance fight and hunt and now he can um and, and, and sorry to be so sexist about it, um, one-sided, um, but I have three boys because now they can court women, get food and protect the house. Yeah. It's, it, you know, I think the ultimate form of mastery in anything is simplicity. And when you're going back to what you're talking about right there, you just found the beauty in the simplicity. This is all I need. I need some sort of shelter. I need some sort of, you know, I need some sort of mate. I need some food. Um, you know, it's the very basic human needs and when you can, but it, it starts in your head. I mean, it starts up here, especially, you know, combating all the cultural, um, shit that we're fed. And so that's exactly it is getting back to the, um, the closer you can get to just complete self-reliance, mm. right? The, that, that yes. simplicity, that's the word right I was there. looking for. It's, it's that, you know, and then, and then all those other good things, I think, you know, the, the whole resilience and the, the happiness and the joy and the, um, you know, I think all of those things, those kind of virtues that we want, um, are able to flourish in that, in that simplicity of self-reliance. That's where it really flourishes. We muddle it with all the other shit on the outside. How many teachers do your schools have? How many students do these schools have? We, so teachers are guy. we wouldn't even call them teachers. We call them guides as few as possible. Um, so the, um, we, we're kind of playing with these. Isn't that goals. funny to hear you say that? Like, that's your, that's your brag. Well, the traditional brag is, oh, we have, we have three, three teachers for every 12 kids. For, for sure. Right. It's and, like, and your brag is as few dude, as possible. Like a, God, if we can get to like, oh, you know, the, Fuck the, the, Gestapo. Ratio, the, the student <laughs> teacher ratio for us should be, we should be able to run a couple hundred students on a campus with about two adults. I mean, that's the, wow. Real 
That's the reality of where we want to get. And because it's this graduated responsibility too for the older heroes to take on more and more of the responsibility uh, of, of running the campus itself too. So they actually, so it solves a lot of things, right? You got, you create a community. It gives them massive responsibility. Um, it also defeats the conundrum of young people going, well, I need to get a job, but I've got no experience. And how am I going to get experience if I've got no job? Well, no, you actually ran a freaking organization um, in high school. You spend a lot of your years running an organization. And then when you were doing for you, you were doing things like running an actual business and, and things like that. So they come out with a massive amount of, they have come out of high school, assuming they've gone through, you know, kind of uh, all the years, you know, with us, they come out with more real world experience than 95% of your college graduates period in the story. Um, so, and, and this whole thing, you know, growth mindset the whole time and this whole personal responsibility and resilience the whole time too. So it literally allows, you know, I used to say, well, this, we, it creates different humans and that's bullshit. It actually just allows for humans to develop the way we're able to develop versus, you know, shooting all these arrows into us while we're trying to grow. So, so how many you have, there's, there's three campuses for people who don't know, um, these campuses are around um, within proximity to Sacramento, California, and Sacramento, yep. California is about 90 miles inland from San Francisco. So if you look at the North American continent, find the state of California, find San Francisco, and then go inland 90 miles. There's three campuses, I'd say, within 100 miles of there, right? Mm -hmm. yep. uh, it was Lincoln, Placer, and yeah, Roseville. Lincoln. Lincoln, I'm here in Roseville, and then Sacramento proper. Yep, we just oh, okay. there too. Mm -hmm. yep. And how many kids at each school? So each one right now is a little, is a little different. So this is our, this was our first campus. And so this is the first kind of built out one. So we've got about 150 students um, here, which is about, and we've got a wait list, right? And so people will, if you got a wait list, why don't you just add more kids, but that screws up the, everything that we do. So we've What's got the age range. Uh, we're K through 12 here on this campus. Wow. Yeah. And, and so, sorry, I'm going to let you go oh, one okay. second. I'm going to let you in a second. And how much does it cost to attend? We try to stay like under um, market value. So it's only 10, 10 grand a year, which I know that's still a lot of money. I don't want to downplay that. I know that. Um, and the downside of privatized education is always the cost. But the reality is um, comparative to some of the, you know, quote unquote, private schools and all that. Um, it's a it's a pretty solid, pretty solid deal. My kids Montessori school was um, seven thousand dollars a month for my three kids to attend Montessori. Yep. A month. Yep. Totally, totally. Right, we're so, ridiculously so, reasonable. So, so then I did the math, and if I put that seven thousand dollars a month into a, a a conservative mutual fund, my kids would have twenty million dollars at the age of seventy each. There's no fucking way. I'm. There's no. And there's no fucking. Yep. Like I, I just think, what would I want? Well, yep. I'd take the twenty million at seventy. Totally. Oh, 100%. <laughs> As you should. That's Set me free. Right. Okay, That's sorry. Right. Well, yeah. Okay, so sorry. Go on. Okay, no, so 150 right. kids. So can you kind of walk me through um, – um, man, there's so many questions. Why do – let's start here. Why do parents choose you, and are they scared? Shit, yeah, they're scared. A lot of parents are scared. So that's one of the hardest – That that's the, that's the best question right there is why do – why do they choose us? Um, they're their kids. Your kids are your Sistine Chapel. Every anytime anyone talks about legacy, I went to the moon. I invented the light bulb. Fuck off. Your only yeah. legacy is your kids. Like, that's exactly that's right. It. And that's and dude, honestly, and that was one of the best answers. So my, Mark was <laughs> Mark Bell was on on my show too, and we were sitting right here in the studio, you know. And I asked him about his 
um, his legacy. And that's, he's like, late. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't have, a, I'm not worried about any kind of legacy. I got nothing. And he's like, my, you know, I got my, my two kiddos at home. Like that's about as far of a yep. legacy as I can get. And I think it's absolutely spot on. I think it's absolutely right. So uh, why give Acton Academy? Why let them draw on my campus or my canvas? That's my fucking canvas. I'm the fucking Michelangelo. That's and so the um you are the Mike as the parent, you are the first and foremost um Michelangelo. That child is is uh the David. Um, but at some point that David needs to start doing its own artwork too, right? So like the mm-hmm. earlier the better, that David needs to start building out itself. Um, and that's why that's why parents will come here is because of our belief that we're not going to teach them. We are going to put them in this kind of controlled chaos, this environment of continuous challenges, this hero's journey where they're going to have to face some dragons um, that we can safely put in front of them. It's not going to be, Hey, we're going to get you out at nine years old and go fight these two guys. Um, But we're going to put some, you know, we're going to actually have you open a business, run a business and put you in a real world scenario where you're maybe pitching to investors at 12 and really trying to get some money and having to get like, you're going to have these real world scenarios that are high, kind of some higher stress, higher stakes to allow you to build out all of that resilience and, and things that we were talking about earlier. And so we've just got a way to partner with you as the parent who we do see as the primary educator, both of us need to look at that young hero and go, okay, we are going to trust them to develop that resilience and self-direction to then perpetuate their own journey to where we are no longer needed, right? It's like parenting on steroids. You want to parent your, your kids in a way that they grow into these amazingly happy, resilient, joyful, integrous human beings. And ultimately they don't need to live in your basement, but they want to have a relationship with you. Right. Mm, Yes. We're on the same page as that. We want us as the adults to be completely fucking unnecessary, but to have a cool relationship where we can be this continuous Morpheus of just like, Hey, what about looking over here? And what if we open this door? Fuck it. It's up to you. If you walk in, or that they can lead me some, or they could lead me someday. And eventually they end up leading yes. us, right? And yeah. that kind of comes full, full circle in, in return, right? So it's that kind of concept. So that's what parents are ultimately saying they are coming here for. The hardest part for us is finding who those parents actually are. Um, and what I mean by that is um, you've got a lot of people who intellectually understand that the government schools, and I don't even call it public ed, I call it government ed, um, that government ed is f- yeah, you have some great talks on that, by the way. What you were saying on the Mark Bell podcast about monopolies, maybe we should hit that. But but finish your thought and we'll come back to that. I mean, that you is, have some great thoughts on that. It's a hot freaking mess. So yeah, people understand and people understand that. They get it. Um, but do they really trust their child? Do they really trust their parenting of that child? And do they trust themselves to support that child and do that. Like those are all the harder questions. Um, so those are the things that we try to filter out as much as humanly possible. Ultimately it ends up being somewhat of a, of a guess, right. Until, until the shit hits the fan. Until like you really have that kid in there and, and see how they respond, how the parents respond. And you watch that growth. Like we're filtering those, those families up front too, because they are scared. They are scared of like, we don't want my kid to come out of this government school, but shit right now it's only, uh, 
exaggerated with all, I don't want my kids going to a school where they're going to be masked. I don't want my kids going to the school where the jab is going to be mandatory. So we've or got how about your, or how about your school? I don't want my school where pe- they're not, what time do they have math? Well, they don't what the fuck this school. They still have, they still have the ability to do math. We yeah. just don't know it's time for math. We go, Can, here you go. You got these, you know, parameters around going and getting it, but we don't, if have I come to your school, if I send my kid there in kindergarten, by the time he leaves, has he done all the, has he been, has he been the janitor? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's done some cleaning. He's oh, like clean classrooms. Absolutely. And, and then by the time he's a senior, he's maybe, um, uh, managed the, the, the money for the wrestling team. He's managed the money. He's been the, maybe he's been the athletic director. He may have been a guide for younger students. So going in and teaching, he may have developed a PE program for the school. He may have learned from our chef on, on how to cook real food and actually been cooking food, um, for the young students. And Oh, by the way, he also might be through calculus if that's part of his journey. Um, all of the above. Yep. I met a parent the other day in my kid's tennis program. um, The parent hadn't been there in a year, um, and I asked him what happened, where did he go, and he said, well, he didn't like the fact that the tennis academy that that these kids went to, um, he didn't like that their rules and regulations around um, the so-called pandemic. He didn't like the protocols they put in place to protect the kids. And I I just bit the inside of my cheek. I didn't say anything to him. I said, oh, okay, cool. And then he said to me, hey, do your kids, um, where do your kids go to school? And I said that, um, I don't know, my wife does all that, but I don't, I'm not, I have no real interest in any of that stuff. Um, And he said, oh, well, my wife's a professor at at the college, the big university. uh, And uh, we put a premium and she's a math professor and we put a big premium on education. I go, oh yeah, I put a big premium on education too. He goes, well, I thought you said you're just not worried about it. I'm like, well, it's, that's not the method I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then he said, well, wh- well, why not? And I said, well, the primary reason, and I just exploded on him basically, not in a bad way, not mean yeah. or asshole, yeah. but I just said, hey, dude, the same reason, I have no interest in tennis. Yeah. My kid's been doing tennis here a year. He does it. I practice tennis with him seven days a week. I have no interest. The only reason why I brought him here yeah. is because the instructor doesn't fool around and because yeah. they didn't require masks. Yeah. And so – um, to go back even one further step, I only people thought that I was going to put my kids in. I was trying to get my kids interested in sports. Yeah, I have no interest in my kids getting sports. I have them interested in getting relationships with adults, professional yep. adults. Yep, perfect, good example. And yeah, and now it's funny you say this. My seven-year—he just turned seven. He can now. He's been taking tennis for over a year, and he's been do, he does practices five to seven days a week. And same with jujitsu and the martial arts. He's been doing that for three years. He can yeah. teach it. And I see him teaching his brothers now. Yep. But like, I don't even recognize the person who's the teacher. Like when he goes into teacher mode. Yeah. Yep. It's a different deal. It's on. I'm it's like, just who the unleashed. fuck is this guy? Totally. And, that's, and that wasn't, that wasn't even what I was trying to teach. I, was, uh, I wasn't trying yeah. to teach him to be a teacher. I wasn't trying to teach him Brazilian jujitsu. I was just trying to get him in front of Garth Taylor and Santa Cruz so that he could see what it's like to be. Uh, uh, that's right. A professional. That's right. <laughs> and That's all right. this other shit's like, okay. and, and my kids know math because we've been working out since they've been two. And so they're, they're, they're multiple, they're, um, they're, uh, subtraction and addition's insane, right? Yeah. My four year old can be, we can be at 30 rep 32 and he's like, yep, we have 68 more reps till we get to a hundred. I'm like, God damn. And he's just got it. Yeah. Yeah. He just, no, no T. Yep. I heard you say something to Mark Bell about that. We don't teach kids how to walk or talk at all. They would, they, but 
we just encourage the failure, right? We encourage them to, they, they get up and they fall down. And when they fail, we fucking applaud. We applaud. We go, yeah, good job. Cause you got up and you tried and you fell down and then you're going to go, you're going to go again. Cool. And they fall down. Oh, yay. And we applaud. Right. And then at some point we're taught that, well, when the, the failure happens, you don't applaud anymore. You go in for intervention. Hmm. Right. Like it's, and, and that there's a, and there's also a timeline associated with it. When you started getting to school, I put a premium on education too, but fuck school. Like that's a, those are not the same thing. Those are different things. Um, and so, yeah, we put this timeline on it too. I, and I use this example quite a bit too. Like when people look at me, um, I, I walk into a room, nobody goes, that dude, that dude did not walk until he was 18 months old. Nobody looks at me and does, nobody says that I was a five, nine white dude that could dunk a basketball. I was a pretty good martial artist. I was a pretty, and, I, I was, and you didn't walk till you were 18 months. Right. Yeah. So we did, put did you crawl? just, at, I, I know this isn't the point, but did you crawl? Uh, did you scare? Yeah, not, not a whole lot. Um, mm. yeah, I guess I was pretty minimal and it was just getting, always getting picked up too. So I knew I could yep. get picked up. And so it was just, you know, there was just a culmination of things. I didn't necessarily even have anything wrong. It was just more parents snatching me kind of deal and just picking me up and wandering me around. I was lazy, you know, or whatever it was, but I mean, 18 months old, all of a sudden I could walk and everything was fine. Do you have and siblings, so, Matthew? Yeah, I do. I'm the oldest of, uh, four. Oh, uh, boys or girls? Two, uh, two other guys and then, and one girl. Are you friends with them? I am friends with the oldest two. Uh, my, my brother who is, uh, just a year younger than me is, is my best buddy. Um, my sister's a few years younger than me and, and lives locally too. The other brother is, uh, is actually our half brother, um, who lives with my father and he's quite a bit. How old am I? I'll be 42 next month. So my brother is 22. That brother is 22. Oh, he's young. Yeah, he's young. So we didn't have much of a, um, you know, we didn't grow. I was a, I was in college when he was born. And so we don't have a ton of, and then he lives with my dad and, and, um, you know, has been told that we're, we're kind of the enemy too. So, uh, not a lot of relationship there, but no one's in jail. Uh, nobody's in jail. No, nobody's, <laughs> yeah, nobody's, nobody's in jail. No, uh, no. Is your dad proud <laughs> of you? You think? Yeah, for sure. He is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, um, I think man, man to man, uh, um, I think he has a high level of, I would think he has a high level of respect, um, for me very, very much. So, um, again, I harbor no ill will, um, to him, uh, towards him whatsoever. Um, and I want nothing but the best for him. I don't think having a relationship with him benefits me or my kids. And I love my kids uh, and my wife more than, more than, uh, I care to develop a relationship with him. And I think that's, that's the priority for me. It's weird, right? I, it um, is. Did you ever have this, um, like you're growing up and you're like, shit, one day my parents are going to die. That's going to be so lonely. It's going to be, everyone's going to die. I'm going to be all alone. And then you have kids and I don't mean to be an asshole, but it kind of mitigates that. It totally does. Yeah. You're like, totally does. you're kind of like, yeah. okay, if my parents die, I mean, it's going to really hurt. But it's going to hurt my kids more than it hurts me. And that's, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Like that's Because I have my kids now. I almost feel bad for it. Guilty. I don't quite, but almost. For sure. Well, and that's when, uh, it's one of those things that's, it's one of those. I used to be able to just think about my mom dying and start crying. Crying? Yeah. I would do that in drama and theater all the time. If I needed to do a scene where crying, I would just pretend like my mom died and fucking. Right. Yeah. And now it's probably different. But if you did the same thing with your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, you're screwed. Now it's more like rate. Now it would be more like. Yeah, I don't know. I w- I wouldn't even fuck with that. You couldn't even. I don't, maybe even maybe I probably pretend. wouldn't even go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. As soon as I, I was gonna try it, I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. Yep. Totally. <laughs> don't even want to pretend, dude. Yes. Don't even want to pretend. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And that's one of those things that you literally, dude. You'll never. Um, you can't. You can understand it intellectually. You cannot understand it emotionally and viscerally until you have those kids. There's just no way to understand that. Yeah, it's a um, my 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 um. I wonder about my uh. I wonder about my parents. Um, I I speak to them. I see them a lot. I'm very 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 close with my mom. I see my mom almost every day. Um, and it's it's awesome. Yeah. I, I I usually tell people that my my crowning achievement in my life is the um my relationship with my wife. Yeah. Just I I'm just so fucking proud of it. But um but may, maybe it's with my mom too. I've never thought of it until just now saying it to you, but I'm pretty proud of that. It's pretty, it's a, it's, it's the crown jewel. It's pretty fucking dope. Mom um, more than oh, dad. Say that again. Mom more than dad. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I um, I'm not as, I'm a little more, I, I think that my, the fault with my relationship with my dad, I don't believe it's both of our faults. I believe it's his fault. Yeah. I think that maybe he, he, my dad drinks a lot. Um, and he doesn't listen. He's not a good listener. And so, and he's got a hearing issue. And so I just think that he's done stuff to himself that's made it. So he's, or, and he, my dad's had an extremely hard life. My dad's the oldest of 10 kids born in a fucking concrete hut in fucking Lebanon, no running water, no fucking electricity, fucking death and mayhem all around him. Chaos fight, scrambling to get every meal named after fucking Stalin. I mean, my dad's not like, like he, he's not like these fucking guys like around us in this world, Yeah, you know, uh, raised nine brothers and sisters. Two of his siblings died. They slept in the house for a week or they stayed the dead body, stay in the house for a week. Cause it's part of his culture. He had to sleep next to his dead siblings. I mean, just, you know, just all, all the old country wow. crazy shit, right. Holy. That walked 10 miles in the snow. But I want even my parents are politically like, so um, they see the world so differently than me, but yeah. I wonder sometimes if they're still proud of me because of what a warrior I've become and, and the fact that I'm willing to stand up for my kids in a way that like, mo- like I, I wonder if they see what I'm doing. Yeah. That like, I'm feeling this responsibility to speak up for all the people who can't, it's not even responsibility. Maybe I don't know what the word is, but I'm speaking up for my kids and all the other kids and all the people out there Yep. Who are being coerced to do shit that they don't want to do? I'm standing up against the bad guys, and I just wonder if my parents see that, even if they don't agree with what I'm doing. If they're like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, because it's not—it's not who I am. Yeah, I'm not this person that people a, think it's I a am. Battle? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I don't care about like if I didn't have kids, I wouldn't care about like the Constitution or freedom or like I don't yeah. care. I don't. I I'm fine going to the beach and drinking beer every day and playing frisbee. Yeah. Like this isn't who I like this persona of me, who I am, like that the world sees or like standing up for all this stuff or like not tolerating racism, not tolerating medical coercion, not tolerating like bullying. All Like I I really don't care, but I have to do this, but I have to do this because I'm independently wealthy and I can, I can't be canceled. Like I just have to do this. I I think I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not interested in it. I'm not like, I just have to. um... I think that same, you know, the genesis of, of you doing that anyways, and, and really the genesis of that being the love that you have for, for your own kids, I would think that, you know, and I, and I can't, um, 
you know, obviously I can't say it as from any, any source of experience. I mean, I would think that's the same thing your parents would still have for you too. I mean, that's still, um, that would still instill in a will to, to watch what you're doing and to be, um, you know, proud You'd of think, with integrity. I would think so. But then how can, how can, how can someone vote for someone that wants your kid to get an injection? Yeah. How can, how can you be 80? How can you be 80 years? old? Like if I was 80 years old and there yeah. was an injection that could make it. So I live another five years or could, or forced to take my, my kids to take, I would die. Yeah. I would not, I, I would not, I would throw my life down for my kids or my grandkids in a second. Like how are all these yeah. people okay with not standing up for their kids? I don't get it. I, I really I, don't get it. I'm asking you. I really think the cognitive dissonance, especially for that generation has been, I think they grew up in a, in a very programmed time, right? It was a, you don't question the media. You don't question the government. It's Democrats are the people for the people. And so I'm just going to sign my tickets. Like I'm a Steelers fan for life, right? It doesn't. Yes. That's how I think of it. They're football fans. Yeah. But it's our lives are at stake. (laughs) For sure. And I don't think they get, you know, it's, it's, um, I think they grew up in a very unique time where that programming was real and they just believe, look, man, if you just fucking just shut up and just, you know, listen to what the media is telling you. If they're telling you there's a pandemic, there's a pandemic and we're going to ride it out and we're going to do what the government says to do because they have your best interests at heart. Like, I really think they actually believe, um, I really think they actually believe those things. And I almost wonder if they're just kind of getting tired to the point too, where it's like, look, it's not worth, you know, we believe them and it's not worth the thought exercise to go down the logic train. It's easier at that point to just stay with kind of my emotional, you know, um, my, my, my pre-programming, I really think that generation is really there. They don't want the thought exercise of having to go down the logic train. I don't think they do. Um, and it's an, are you hopeful? Are you hopeful? No, I don't, I don't think hope is a strategy at all. I'm proactive. Are you, um, let me rephrase it. Are you optimistic about, are you optimistic? I'm optimistic about, um, what I'm doing. I'm optimistic about what I do for my family. Am I optimistic about what this? No, I think the country is going down a, a road that is going to get worse. I really do. Um, but I'm optimistic in my resilience and what I'm going to make sure I do for those that I can, that I can serve to, uh, to make sure we're okay, no matter what. Right. Right. It's um, a, a different kind of thing. Personally optimistic collectively far now. So um, someone in the comments named Jesus Ramos says, quit bitching about the damn shot, Sevon. You don't want it. We all get it. That's that. It's You're totally, I think, missing the point. It, it has nothing to do with me. Correct. I, I'm not going to get it. I'm independently wealthy. There's nothing. I don't care. I can quit bitching about it the second. But um, the 10 cops that are my friends that are being forced to take it who can't speak right. up or else they're going to lose their jobs. It's- and, right. and um, the firefighters I know, the doctors, the nurses I know, all these people being forced. I'm just doing it for them. You, you, if, if you, Jesus, exactly. I totally, I totally hear you. Yep. I don't exactly. want to turn. I'm, it's um, exactly. it's all the other, it's all the others, and that's where the the and lazy, they can't speak where, up, and that's where the laziness of of thought comes in. Is it just stops with the on both sides, on either side, pro vaccine of pro COVID shot, right? Anti COVID shot. It's the laziness of thought, which by the way, has been perpetuated by things like school and, and lazy parenting and, and, you know, along with um, other things in pop culture, but it's laziness to just stop right there and go, I want it. Vaccines good. You know, I don't want it. Vaccines bad, both lazy. It's what is the 
what is the ripple effect? When I asked you that question around Ronald Reagan um, and NASA, well, then the thought exercise is, okay, well, what are the extremes? Like if, if we double down on this, what is the long tail effect of doubling down on, on building out a space program? What are all the net positives, net negatives? What are the ripple effects, right? Likewise, go to the other side. What are the ripple effects? If we just shut that down altogether, what are the ripple effects of that? Um, and this is the same thing, right? When you start talking about this jab, it's paying attention to what are the ripple effects that are going on. If you take a look outside the American bubble, take a look at, you know, history of government overreach, you start going, okay, what are the ripple effects of us saying that this is an issue? It that's where it starts to get, I think, scary. And that's where I think you see where things are going with all these vaccine people losing those jobs, the vaccine passports. You know, what if this does get attached to you, your ability to travel? Does that shut it down for you or your ability to buy food, right? If I can no longer go to a grocery store or have access to my money because I'm not a compliant boy, um, that's that's the area we're headed. And I think that's what the majority of people are, are speaking up against. No, I don't think the majority of people give a shit if somebody wants to get the shot or not. I agree 100%. Um, do you believe that, um, I, I, I had this car, it was in 1986, um, uh, Mercedes 560 SEC or something. It was like a, the song that was always talked about in rap songs. It was the most expensive production car made in 1986. Uh, like $109,000 a car. And I bought it on Craigslist. Um, when I first started working for CrossFit, when I was making like 3000 a month and I, and I got it for like 3,600 bucks, it was like mint condition. And it was the first production car ever that had an airbag. And do you believe, and and, and now we have just Bezos going to space and now every car has an airbag, right? And, and, and and every day there's a new car coming out that can park itself and like the technology and everyone can afford a toothbrush now and a water pick. It just like the, just the price, everyone can get a 60 inch TV for 300 bucks. Yeah. When you look at the Acton Academy and you see it's, I I don't think you owe any explanation for being $10,000 a student. Um, But do you see a day where this thing becomes so big that maybe it, it like, could it, could it be public education or is that a oxymoron? Yeah. Could public education be run like that or would that be an oxymoron? That's a great question. Yeah. Government schools will never be run like this ever. Okay. Period. End of story. Um, so, you know, but the price could drop right in 20 years, there could be 10,000 of these schools. Oh, the price on it. So that's two different, two different conversations. So yeah. So sorry. That's where I was kind of leading to it. Sorry, 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 sorry. Government. So so do the government one first. Sorry. To be clear, government schools will never, will never adopt this government schools. Um, well, and I, and I always want to delineate. So I've got another like TEDx that I shot last week that'll be coming out. And I kind of, um, you know, I'm talking about it's the post post COVID COVID education. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't wait. Can't right? wait to see. So we got it. that coming. One of the things I always want to delineate. I did so in that talk, and I want to make sure I always do that too. Is I am not anti-government um, school teacher, government school administrator, the human beings. Right? It's like what we were talking about at the very beginning. I can separate those things, right? And so those people, the majority of people in those systems, perpetuating those systems, really are there for the right reasons. The majority of those people really do want to um, help young people. They they believe um wholeheartedly in what they are doing just like i believe a lot of most doctors believe wholeheartedly in what they're recommending whether or not um i agree with what they're recommending is different i think most people have the the right intent um there that are in in schools so there's that the system of government schooling though is about 
uh, politics. It's about profit. It's about control. It's about all of these things that, um, you know, really don't help humans develop the way we're supposed to develop. So government schools, there's, there's too much money, power politics involved for that to ever change. Um, otherwise, you know, it would be more like, well, let's integrate the system and let's, or let's, let's infiltrate the system and let's figure out how to blow it up from within. And there are still people that want to fight in that way. It'll never happen. So we just went, okay, cool. We're going to build the better model. We're going to build the better example. Um, to, to begin that, yes, there is a cost involved. Um, unfortunately our cost per student, um, on our campuses are, is drastically lower, um, than, than any kind of government schools. And it will continue to be driven lower and lower. We are moving forward in a multitude of ways to allow that to be more accessible, um, to, to young people. One, is just by fact of the very nature of what we do with our students starting businesses. We I've got high school students that pay their own tuition uh, because the businesses that they've run and started while here pay more than that. I mean, we have students. Can you give me an example right? of that? Just a quick, like it doesn't have to be de- like detailed. Gosh, just like, I mean, we've like got a car. Someone started a car wash and now they pay their tuition. I mean, we've had people start a car wash, but we've also had people do more intricate, um, you know, kind of uh, creating custom, a young lady that created um, custom art uh, projects. She does abstract art, right? And so she was being commissioned to like do abstract art on, she did a VW bug. She's done paintings that she sold. She painted, she painted on a VW bug? That's correct. Yeah. And did this abstract artwork. Um, She really found her niche with um, snowboards and skateboards, and then got them into local stores here in the Sacramento area. Right. And so she's creating a business out of that. She actually sold a skateboard to Tony Hawk. He took it to his Californian uh, hall of fame induction. Um, and so, um, we have another young man who in, and she does that at school. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, your school. Part of, she as does. part of, mm-hmm. okay, part okay. of her specific journey. So I could right? walk onto your campus and I would see her like Artwork. either pay, either painting the skateboard or on a computer, writing an email to like the paint manufacturer or like ordering or talking with Tony Hawk's agent and being like, Hey, we'll mail this out. All that. I could see all be, that going on. Be part of her. That'd be part of her day. Just like you would see her possibly, you know, interacting with other younger students, just like you would see, you wouldn't necessarily go, wait a second, that girl's doing something different. It's just the hubbub of what everybody's doing. And Uh, she's inspiring her peers to do that too. And and they see it and they're like, holy shit. And then I'm going to sell a violin to fucking Adele now. They're going <laughs> like, totally, man, totally, right? Yeah, yeah. guys that make do custom woodwork and they do custom um, bike ramps and do custom um, wooden flags um, that they sell. And there's cut. I mean, these young. How about any stand-up comedians? Guys. Are there Dude, any kids? Yeah, I'm down. When I, I was wish. a kid, I really, really enjoyed making fun of other people and making yeah. fun of myself. <laughs> I yeah. really, yeah. I loved, I loved filthy humor. Yeah. I loved Rodney Dangerfield. I loved how he made fun of himself and made fun yeah. of other people. It was fucking amazing. I could listen to his records all day. Yeah. But it, but it was so taboo. I mean, my mom let me buy the For records, sure. but then I'd still listen to him like I was hiding out. Yeah, 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 totally. But commun- I mean, that's but-, but I was like seven, eight, nine, ten. I was fucking. I was ready to tear shit up. Man, that's and you see that's something that needs but I had to be no outlet. Too. Now I'm 49. I'm trying it on you. I'm trying to like squeeze but- some jokes in here with you as we talk about serious shit. 
but you have a knack for communication, right? And you were able yeah. to communicate through film. You're able to communicate through your words. You're able to communicate through these things. And that's something that needs to be fostered early and often. We had a young lady that came to us that was deathly afraid of public speaking, but knew that that was going to be inherently part of what we do. There were going to be presentations. There were going to be pip- pitches to local businesses. There were going to be all these things. And then she got herself, she went from that to emceeing some of our exhibition events to getting invited to speak at a TEDx herself, right? And so it's those kind of things. Holy like, shit. It. did she let, do it let those things it hasn't happened yet uh, but um, how old is she 16 wow yeah is she gonna do it uh, I, I hope so yeah i mean that's something she's been working on and then are you proud as shit of her uh, it's amazing right and yeah. that's what it goes for it's literally every single student here it's like cool man go get it what does what does that what does that journey look like for you if we've got a young man you know she's got she's doing tedx somebody else is making jewelry that they've got in local stores somebody else is creating these wooden products somebody's building um sheds somebody else is writing cookbooks and somebody else is working for youtube right now making six figures as a 17 year old in high school right? oh geez hey so anyone grow marijuana anyone grow marijuana all the uh not that i'm aware of yeah yeah um I don't smoke marijuana anyway, but, but I really, as a kid, it's so it's the funnest thing to grow. It's like, I, I, I I cannot condone burning or smoking anything. People it's fucking idiocy, breathing in burning objects into your lungs. I don't eat that shit. I don't do any of that. That being said, everyone should grow a weed plant. It's the most fascinating, fascinating fastest growing plant ever. It's fucking crazy. That's what I've heard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's amazing. It's so a growing. Anything's fun. I mean, tomato plants are fun too. So. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, no, you're I, good, man. Yeah. No. Um, so you have these kids and, and they're doing well, this stuff in there. We're all able to do all of this. Right. And so a lot of them are able to pay their own um, tuition, but then, you know, I'm, I'm getting a foundation going to where we can do the 501 C three things so that people want to, you know, donate. That's all scholarships. When we do events, do you hate um, that, that you have like, to get in bed with the government through a 501 C three? Um, I I'm doing it in a way where it's just that, that allows for the, it allows for the donations. Um, We've got, I don't fully even understand the whole cycle of it where it's like this business trust that goes to the foundation that goes, I, I full, I honestly don't fully understand that. Um, you have smarter people than you who do, who do that it. are doing that. That's exactly yeah. right. And it's yeah. literally just to perpetuate helping is, you know, more young people. Um, so we've got that set up when we do events. So like this last August, we hosted um, TEDx Roseville. So we actually put a TEDx on here on this campus um, and we had sponsors that came in to sponsor the event those sponsorships that were over and above the cost of putting on the event all went back towards kids so we the the students that we have that we know struggle the most like we feed that in there we want to purchase local businesses as well that if there's anything that we can do to perpetuate income and have that going to drive um you know more of a scholarship fund so we are doing everything that we can do to try to ultimately go as many places as we can go and drive that cost uh down um and and make it accessible to everybody because that is the that is the biggest downside forever and always will be the biggest downside of privatized ed is the fact that it freaking costs money i just i i just see that going back to my original thought is is that like yeah this shit has to start somewhere it has to start at thirty thousand, has to start at then twenty thousand, then ten thousand, and eventually one of these kids will graduate he'll be the next jeff bezos and he'll he'll um, give back you know 50 million dollars and and, and and then and then eventually this thing will get a what what are those called endowments? I mean you know you, you see the, it'll get billions of dollars that just sits parked somewhere and 
you bet. And that's what's it's already that's already happening. If you take a look at the global kind of this global push now and what we got with the global network and some of the bigger players that have come alongside this, um, we're just at the precipice. We're at the forefront. The 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 organization that I relate it to the most, honestly, with this movement is, is CrossFit. I, I use that analogy quite a bit because CrossFit kind of started as this grassroots sort of thing, and the proof became in the pudding. And then all of a sudden, now there's a, you know there's a CrossFit on every you know on every corner kind of deal, and everybody knows what it is. And there's this huge collaborative event, you know, every single year. And there's these local regional events, and it's the support upon support upon support. And you've got all these big players that are jumping in, and ju- it's a very similar trajectory. I believe for, for this too, we've got some big, big players coming aboard. Then there's probably some crazy lessons in there for you, by the way. No doubt. Uh, basically, you, you know, CrossFit was great. Basically Greg Glassman's experiment. Yeah. He just wanted to train people and, and he just experimented on them. He's, yeah. he's a scientist. Yeah. He's yeah. a scientist like is in the scientific method. Yep. He's not a consensus scientist. He doesn't care what the consensus is. Yeah. He believes in real like science, the stuff yep. that like the hard sciences, like um, sociology is not a science. I know you know all this. Psychology sure. is not a science. These are these are not. Th- th- <laughs> this is sorcery, word sorcery yeah. um, <laughs> to say those things. Uh, the, the sciences are math, biology, physics and chemistry. Yeah. All done. Yeah, geology, maybe. Yeah, yeah it's like all done. Yep. Um, and, uh, 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 weather, weather is consensus science. Climate change is consensus science. I, I'm not right. saying this like that. There's no such thing as that. I'm not saying there's no such thing as global warming, but it's not science people. It's, it's consensus right. science. It's the same thing. They got Jews burned and, and witches taken and, uh, it's exactly it's, right. don't, don't confuse the two. And, and it's the same thing with what's happening with, um, all the medication and the entire COVID response. It, there is no science in it. The science is, it's all consensus. It's, um, there's a guy, Thomas Kuhn, he wrote a book. It's the most cited book in the history of all science literature. And it fucked everything up because he believes in consensus science. You know, someone is not a scientist when they believe in consensus science, when they lean on peer review, they, there, there's no science there. Yep. It doesn't matter how many people say two plus two is five. Okay. So, uh, I forget where I was going with that. I was going to, um, yeah. Someone Glassman and then kind of the experiment. So, sorry. So it was this, yes. So it was this experiment and he, and, and, and we all jumped on board. Yeah. Yep. Because it was getting great results. Yep. Okay. Same do way. this, do this, do this yeah. constantly, very functional movement, yeah. execute at high intensity, move larger objects over large distances quickly. Um, you know, he, he, he defined fitness with kinematics and science and he yep. paid physics and, and so it started growing. And what ended up happening is, is people got started making it their own and it got so, it got so big. And I would argue that maybe he didn't uh, manage his finances. Right. But when the woke crowd tried to come after him and he should have just, it's up to him, you you know, it's, it's his ultimately, I I would have liked to have seen him say, fuck off. Yeah, totally. Fuck you. I'll de-affiliate then. I don't give a fuck. You want to call me racist sex? Fuck off. Yeah. But but he didn't but he didn't do that, and now someone else has it, and it's it's just all venture capital. And yeah. anyone who thinks that anything with integrity is coming out of there now is out of their fucking mind. It's being eroded every single day. Take your L one now before it's fucking gone, and it's lied to. They have something called precision healthcare now. It's it's like mm. inviting the wolves into the chicken head. It's fucking mm. completely it's complete insanity what they're doing over there. But. That's a I, I worry about when I hear you and, and um, I shouldn't say I'm worried about it. I see this amazing thing you're building and I think, oh, my God, what's going to well, happen in 30 years when or 40 years when Matthew's gone and, and the woke crowd gets a hold of your school? Well, and see, and so that's part of the um, and I fully get that. And that's part of the conversation for all of us as kind of this governance 
council, um, which is a fancy way of saying there's like 10 or 12 of us out of the, you know, 300 or so current owners that um, kind of go, Hey, how can we kind of serve more? Right. Like the, um, the whole part of uh, the bigger part of our conversations are how do we just continue to grow, but have everything be completely decentralized and nothing but what's best for the young heroes. And so as an example, uh, so Acton Academy, right? A-C-T-O-N, Lord Acton. I don't know much more about him. I should probably look up more about him and understanding who he is in his life. But he is, if you've ever heard the quote, um, power corrupts, absolute power tends to corrupt. Absolutely. That is, yes. that is credited to him, right? So that's why we we say Acton. We believe in, in educational freedom, individual freedom, you know, personal freedom, religious freedom, economic freedom, medical freedom. Um, and that needs to stay a central component, as does the decentralization of everything, right? Our goal on each campus is to empower those young people so that ultimately they're the ones running the campus. The adult is no longer needed. Same thing from, that's a microcosm from an organizational level. Our goal is that there really isn't any kind of centralized power. There is no hierarchy. There is no mothership that says, do this, do this, do this. What you have is you've got this entire network of individuals who are going, and it doesn't matter if you have one campus, three campuses, if you've just launched a campus this year, if you've had your campus for 10 years, it is, I don't know what's working best for you right now. I don't know what's working best for you. I'm going to try this. Great. I'm going to try this too. And then the only thing we do from a, um, you know, kind of a, a, a corporate sort of structural standpoint is we all agree we're going to take 1% of our gross every single year. We're going to give a per- that percentage back into that governance council is going to take a look at that and go, cool, here's this money. What do we do to perpetuate the network? A small portion of it can go to, and I say small, I mean, small portion of that will go to any kind of marketing and and just kind of letting people know um, kind of what we're doing. Even that we want it to be relatively stealth and and sort of quiet for a few different reasons. Um, But then the rest of it goes back into kids. So this year you're going to have 20 graduates from Acton Academies around the world that will be, that will get, they'll have to compete for it. There's no fucking eighth place trophies. Um, but they'll compete for it and 20 of them will receive $100,000 fellowships from the network to go on to take on their next great adventure. So, and that's, that is is awesome. hundred grand for them to go off and just, what's your next great adventure, man? What do you want to do? There's some, make some promises to us on what that looks like. That's $2 million. Bingo. Right. So it's like, pour that money back into the kids, back into the campuses. It's back into, um, it's not into anybody's pockets. Uh, and that's the beauty. That's the power behind this network. So I agree with you hundred percent that power needs to be maintained. And that power is only maintained if the integrity is maintained, which means no, you know, no lining of anybody's pockets. And that's really what we're all, you know, kind of agreeing to is like, this isn't going to be a money thing for me. I still don't take money from this. I don't mean to be to dead. I don't mean to be to dead horse, but, but, but how it goes down is this, um, 20 years from now, you're pulling into the um, Best Western and, 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 and you tip uh, uh, you're, you're the guy who, who, pick, who picks up your car from you to park your car, the valet. Mm-hmm. And you tip, you tip him $10. And then you, when you leave, um, the, another valet comes and you give him 5 bucks. And someone there is like, uh, did you see that? The oh, the founder of the uh, Acton the founder of the these these kids schools I don't know these 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 I don't know what you call them the Acton Academy schools uh, mm-hmm. 
they um uh, he tipped he tipped a white guy ten dollars and he only tipped the, the black guy on the way out five dollars he's yeah. racist yeah. and then the 50 campuses you opened up they yeah. panic and they're like oh my god um yeah. look 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 we're gonna hang three of our white students from these trees and kill them in the front yard so that you know we're not racist and that's how the whole thing fucking like yeah for sure that, that sure. that's how the whole thing uh gets out of control it's like wait wait a second like yeah uh, that had, he didn't even know he's fucking sure. uh Matthew yeah. Bordeaux is fucking yeah. blind. He didn't even know how much he was tipping him, you dumb fucks. So and first, actually actually the black guy did get ten bucks and it was a white guy got five bucks. Right. Guy and now and now you yeah. now you're hanging white people in, in, in your school to make up for what this guy and that's oh. what scares me in this in this world we're in. Like for sure, man. A hundred percent. Uh freaking thousand percent. First of all, I'm sorry, sure I don't mean to be just throwing no, grenades. You're hundred percent right, dude. So, uh, but these are things that we've got to think about too. So like first, first, when I walk up to those valets, it, which one did both of them ask me for my Vax passport? Because that's, we've got <laughs> to make sure we put that bullshit in there too. Cause that's kind of, right. so, because otherwise I can't even go to the best Western. Right. Um, right. so, um, so that's absolutely something that we're aware of and, and have to, and have to keep tabs on. So what part of that decentralization too, is understanding that, um, individual owners won't necessarily have, we have the same foundational beliefs in the young people and their hero's journeys, unlocking whatever journey, whatever that looks like for them. And us as owners are also going to have their own individual journey. That means that Matt doesn't speak for the entirety of the network. If, unless I'm speaking about something of like, yes, we believe every child is inherently a genius that should be able to, uh, you know, be allowed the opportunity to go on a hero's journey that across the board, right? Like and that's those tenants are written somewhere. Those are like promises. Some, yep. Yeah, yep. Okay. That's exactly it. Those are our promises. That's our mission statement. The minute I go outside of that, I'm no longer an affiliate either. Get the fuck out. It doesn't matter who I am. Right. So, but me personally, um, I, I, you know, if I'm speaking to something that I personally believe, I need to be very clear that this is my personal belief and doesn't necessarily represent the, you know, the, the greater thing at large. When Tim Kennedy speaks about what his policy or, or stance is on, you know, Afghanistan and withdrawal of troops, that's not Acton speaking, that's Tim Kennedy speaking. When he's speaking about Apogee Cedar Park and his Acton Academy there, well, then it's all about those heroes and our belief in their journey. I'm same thing. I've had people that, you know, I get DMs um, or emails or calls and people go, Hey, I just went and checked out the, uh, the Acton Academy over here. And I walked in and they've got masks on. I thought you said, you, you know, I thought you said that, that you are against masks. And, and so I've got to differentiate and just go, look, man, that's their owner that wherever they are decide in that community deciding that they're going to do that. And they have every right to do that. That's part of that whole freedom thing is I want right. you to have the freedom to do that if you want. Like right. that's great. And by the way, everybody's got freedom to do that on our campus. If they want to, they just happen to not want to, um, right. cause they also have the freedom not to do it. Uh, right. And that's, you know, that's the difference. So that's, that's different than the act and Academy philosophy. That's Matt saying, Hey, as the leader of these campuses, free to do what you want to do. Um, but you know, it's those, it's those core tenants, those core principles, those core promises, those core beliefs that we all hang our hat on together collectively. Did you start these, this whole thing because you had kids? Yeah, man, I started, I was in the game, you know, I was in the game of, of, of schools. Um, so I saw, I saw the game and had my own kids and went, well, they're not going to be involved in that game. Uh, Can you so, give me more details? Cause I heard you say yeah. your kids are the reason. Yep. yep. Well, what is, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, 
so I was in traditional conventional schools, right? And actually before that, I was at Stanford University working there for for a while too. Um, and then went into conventional schools, conventional school teacher, conventional school uh, administrator. So I understood the game of school. And, and as I started to ask, well, why? Why are we continuously doing this? Why can't I usurp from the inside? Why do we, you know, when the world is doing this, why the hell are we still doing this? Why do I have to, you know, I'm mentoring this young man and, and trying to help him when he goes home, his parents are telling him to get out and deal drugs on the porch. And, you know, he's, he's, he's got to decide, you know, at what point he gets involved in the family gang and, and all this stuff. And I'm trying to mentor him out of that. Why do I have to make sure he has algebra to save his life versus any of my conversations? Like, why is that bad? Like, so, that, so I'm asking all these questions, right? And once I kind of started figuring out the answers to that, uh, it was right about the same time when my oldest was getting to be, you know, it was close enough to where she was getting to be school age. Um, and so for me, it was like five. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Exactly. And so it was like, okay, well, she's not going to come into this mess. So then what? Right. Um, it's there's, I don't believe in complaining and whining. It's, it's cool. I, I, then I need to be responsible for figuring out what the alternative is going to be. And so alternative is going to be, do we home, you know, do we homeschool and, and figure that out? Or is there something else that I think is even more advantageous? Um, and that's, you know, ultimately was, so that was the genesis of it. Once I figured out what Acton was and it was related to everything I had always wanted to do and been trying to do in that game of school as it was, um, there was no, I'm not going to compromise for, for what I do for my kids. Um, that's just wasn't, you know, that's non-negotiable. So it was like, cool, I will build this for them. And by the way, if I build this for them and that means there's 10, there's 10 kids and that's all we have. Great. Then so be it. I'm building it for my kids. Um, it just so happened that more and more people, um, you know, we're excited about it too. And then once more and more people were excited about it and more and more young heroes started having transformational sort of results as far as who they were, their self-confidence, their self-awareness, all those things. Um, just kind of went from there, you know, and how, how more and more people are waking up to that game though. How old's your daughter now? My oldest is 10. Uh, she'll be 11 in January. So I got a 10, 10 and eight and a five, two girls, two girls and, and a boy. So this shit is growing fast. Giddly, yeah. How do you have time to even do a podcast? It is. This is all part of the mission, man. It's all all inclusive. I don't do the whole balance thing. It is. This is all inclusive. Everything I do is is same same thing, man. This mission. The name of your podcast is called Essential Eleven. The Essential Eleven, yes, sir. And why do you call it that? So we um so as I've been building these schools, I've not taken any money from these schools. I've been so like you. I like communication, right? And so I've been um, a keynote speaker and consultant for for companies all over the world. So I've done, you know, almost 400 keynotes in the last seven years. Wow. Um, all over, all over the world. So that's how I've been providing for my family and, and the money over here. And then when I'm home, you know, we're building out, we're building out the schools. Um, and so I had the uh, the good fortune to work with a phenomenal research company um, when, as I was doing these keynotes and it's a team of PhDs that just studies generational trends and they have generational research. And, um, and I got to kind of work in that, in that context. So I actually utilized that research team and said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to do a podcast and I really just want to get, um, I want to help young people 
get the answers that they want to questions that they've got. And I want to go to, you know, some of the world's best minds and get those answers and just kind of get everybody's take. It was really kind of inspired by like tribe of mentors, right? Tim Ferriss's um, kind of book. So we utilized that research firm um, and went to 1500 young people and, and it was ages 13 to 22 all across America. And we just said, Hey, you know, if we're going to go, it was essentially like, if we're going to these brilliant people, like, what do you want to know? what kind of like, what do you want to hear from them? What kind of advice do you want? And so we kind of, um, you know, cultivated the responses on that and came up with what we called the essential 11, uh, oh. questions. and so oh. then we use the essential 11 questions as the framework for the conversation. And most of the time I don't have to go number one, number two, number three, yeah, right? it, just, yeah. it ends up being, yeah, I've never seen you do that. Yeah. This conversational flow. So I've only sad. had to do that a couple of times when it's like, you know, Greenfield was, was out walking and he's like, dude, I've only got 15 minutes. I'm like, fuck it. We'll just kind of go through the list, man. We'll just kind of rock through, you know, and just kind of go down the list like that. And so I've had to do that, but for the most part, it's just, um, we have a conversation and and those all kind of come up, you know, um, and we're able to kind of weave those in. Um, so it's cool, man, because everybody's got different responses and, and, you know, based on their perspectives and their stories. And so, yeah, it's a hell of a lot of fun, man. Wow. Really You're, cool. you, so I want to go back to, to this reason thing. Yeah. I don't want to say I feel bad when I give people, when I say stuff to people, cause I get on my high horse on my Instagram or on my podcast or just in my day-to-day life. I, I don't, I don't, I don't care that like you give your kids Twinkies. Yeah. What I care is, is that you should know that there's another way. I don't care that you give your yep. kid Gatorade. I want you to know yep. that there's another way. Like, this guy, Matthew Bordeaux, he started a school for his kids. You can tell your kid, hey, there's absolutely no TV when the sun's out, ever. Mm-hmm. You can do that. Mm-hmm. You can, and, and you will help your kid. Kids love boundaries and rules. Mm-hmm. It's, you can tell your kid, hey, you will only drink water in my house. Yep. You will never drink another kind of liquid in my house. You can, it's yours. It's your Sistine Chapel. Yeah. This fucking guy, Matthew Bordeaux, built a fucking school for his kids. I'm not saying you have to do that, but don't fucking argue your limitations. That's it's exactly like, like it scares the shit out of me. And I feel fucking like a piece of shit parent hearing him say that, but I'm doing the best I can do. And so don't let me make you feel like a piece of shit also, because there's levels to the shit. And Matthew's at the highest level and he's fucking starting a school and all of us are bending from it. But don't argue your limitations and say that there's a food drought. I don't have enough money. I'm a, I don't know how to say no. I do not do not stop. It's stop that. arguing your limitations and stop arguing your kids limitations. They have right. we have so much potential. That's right. And, and what sucks is when you argue your limitations or you operate out of this, uh, thought that you've got an endless amount of limitations, your kids learn that too, right? Yeah, they yeah, learn that yeah. from you. They can learn that, you know what? Boundaries are just meant to be, uh, you know, boundaries are meant to be held over here and limits are meant to be pushed over here and they, but they've got to see you living from that paradigm before they actually believe it. I always tell people kids will, um, you know, do what you do before they ever do what you say. Right. And it was, uh, and that was something that I, and I remember saying that to Tito, uh, Ortiz too, when he was on and he's like, Holy shit, man. And he pulled out this sign that was in his bedroom and it was like basically that same kind of thing. And it's like, dude, that's, that is, uh, quite literally the, the case. And I fucking, I mean, I've messed stuff up too. Ever. There's no such thing as a perfect parent, um, at all, but 
um, operating out of those out of those limiting beliefs is going to be the first thing that they that they learn, man. If you're doing it by example, vice versa, yeah. if you're doing the right shit, they're going to be on it. It's it's interesting you say that. So the the fighting with your with your what not your wife the rhetorical wife the um, fighting with your wife in front of your kids. You now have an amazing opportunity to show your kids what it's like to make up. So yeah. so um you know you yell at your wife she she left the refrigerator door open and, and the three kids are sitting there and you're like dude we're trying to save money on electricity can you please close the refrigerator this is the tenth time I've told you and then you see your kids are looking and you're like oh fuck. Yep. Don't immediately be compassionate with yourself. Yep. And, yeah. And 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 turn and flip the script. Take a few deep breaths. Go take a piss. Come back and be like, "Honey, that was right." So, try to do it so your kids don't know you're fucking hamming it up. But ham that shit up. I am so sorry. Yep. And if your wife doesn't accept your apology, you don't get mad at her. You accept that too. You totally. Fucking get on the high road and be a good example for your kids. Don't be hard on yourself. No. Nope, you can you fix did. everything. You can fix it, but yeah, uh, you can be. You can turn it yeah. into a positive. But you need I had to no business yelling at you, honey. You, you deserve better than that. Work. Exactly. And you need to do the work to do it, though, because you've got to you make that apology. Right. And you can openly say, man, kids, the way I just handled that was bullshit. Dog this, shit. Is, this is what I should have done right here. And then yeah. the most important part is that you try not to do that again. Yes, because, yes, yes. Right. Yes. If you yes. do it again the next day, yes, and then you do it the next day. The kids don't believe you because what you do and what you say are not the same thing. If I walk right. up to Savon every single day and go, dude, I love you. And then I punch you in the face. Yeah. Dude, I love you. Bam. And I punch you in the face. Right. All you're learning is that uh, it's cool what he says, but ultimately he's going to fucking hit me in the face. Right. Like it's the same thing. It's your, I don't action. want anyone loving me. <laughs> dude, exactly right. Yeah. Love sounds awful. Yeah, man. So it's, it's that it's, you know, it's the consistency and that's what kills. That's what kills. I mean, it's just like fitness, right? And health and fitness is consistency matters. Um, and, and people struggle with consistency and it's, it's no different in, in parenting, but, um, it's that consistency, man. At your first fight, at your first fight, Bruce Buffer was there. <laughs> yeah, dude. He was the announcer. Was he nobody? Uh, no, he was still Bruce Buffer. Like he was, he was? still, yeah, he was still Bruce Buffer. I mean, UFC wasn't as big. Um, as it is now, UFC was, I think, is he cool? He's so weird. He's, he's like, he's like a Barbie doll kind of like, he, just because of the role he plays for sure. Like, man. He's, he's so one dimensional. He's very theatrical. Um, you know, he's very theatrical. He's very over the top. I mean, he can be kind of theatrical even in conversation, but he's a good, he's a, he's a, he's a good guy. He's, he's a cool guy. Um, I was, I'm, you know, I've had multiple interactions with him, but not so much where I can go, look, Bruce Buffer is a good friend of mine and here's who he really is down deep. I don't have that kind of, kind of relationship with him. Um, so, but he's always been a good, he's always been a good dude, but yeah, UFC was, I think 50, 60 ish events in maybe at that point. And that was, you know, they weren't doing them every weekend like they do now. Right. And so it was, um, uh, yeah. Cause it was right about 2000. My first fight was 2004. Five, well, all of them were 2005 and 2006. Um, we're all within a truncated space. So uh, it was 2005. And so it was right about like uh, to give context for fans. I had that fight. And then I think the next week I was in Vegas at the fights. Uh, and it was like Liddell versus Jeremy Horn too. Um, you know, it was like, it was that GSP. GSP was like on the, he was like this up and coming guy. Uh, yeah. You know, and so it was, it was that. How, how are you on time? 
I'm good, man. I, I, I wanted to be able to just chat as long as you wanted to chat today. So, okay. I have two uh, more things I'd like to bring up. Go for it, man. When I worked in a home for disabled adults, one of the things I, I worked there for five years, I lived in the driveway in my car there. Um, I started at seven bucks an hour. And when I left, I had 20 people working for me and was making $21 an hour. Just rich as fuck. Totally. Like 15,000 in the bank, still yeah. eating sandwiches out of the dumpster. Yeah. Killing it. Buy my girlfriend, whatever coffee she wanted. Fuck the good old days. Anyway. So, so one of the things was, is you, you don't want to take power from people. Like yeah. if someone says to you, um, and, and, and I hear this a lot in, in your talk with how you deal with kids, I think. And it, I just thought it was an interesting different spin on it. Like you don't want to take power from people. What does that mean? That means when I tell my kid, Hey, I signed you up for a jujitsu tournament. He says, I don't want to do it. I just say, okay. Then the day before I said, Hey, tomorrow we're going to the jujitsu tournament. He says, okay, I don't want to do it. Then we wake up in the morning and we get in the car and I get him dressed and we're driving there. He says, um, I don't, I don't want to do it. And I just say, okay. And there's nothing for me to say. I don't, I don't have to respond. I don't have to take power from him. I don't have to say you have to do it. That's taking power from him. I don't have to say you don't have to do it. That's taking power from him. I just keep moving towards the target. Mm-hmm. And as we get closer, he ups the ante on me. It's it's 10 minutes before his first jujitsu match in the history of his life in a public setting. Um, it's his first tournament. And he says, do I have to do it? And I just look at him and I stay quiet because I have nothing to say. That's I don't know what to say because mm-hmm. I because I, he because he doesn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. But I'm but I'm also not going to tell him he has to do it or doesn't have to do it because I don't want to take it's him. Mm-hmm. It's it's all it's all on him. Mm-hmm. I know it's safe. I'm not gonna, I'm looking around. I'm making sure no one's going to hurt him. I'm going to stay close to him. I'm not enjoying the process either. I don't want him to do it either. Yeah. But but I but fuck it's not me who has to go out there. Yeah. So I need to shut the fuck up and suck it up. And I just, and then eventually I said, Hey, I love you. I said, you, you just do you, Yep. you know? Yeah. And, um, and, and he, and he goes out there and does his first match and he comes off and, and he's like, Oh, the next thing I was not is when's my next one. I go in, in like three minutes. He said, mm-hmm. okay. And then he does his next one. And then we get in the car we're driving home and I go, how was that? He goes, man, I was shaking. And I go, Oh, I go, is it hard to do jujitsu when you're shaking? He goes, no, no, it stops. Soon as you get out there. When they say go, it stops. He goes the whole time up to it. I go, wow. I go, that sounds nuts. I go, like, you want to run away, shake? He goes, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, you just redirect that into, and I just talk to him about it. Ask, yeah. Like you're saying, the Socratic, ask questions, yeah. help him with some ideas that I yeah. think maybe it might be. But I never take the power from him. Yeah, I love that. And it's the integrity of um, of that whole situation. That goes back to kind of what we're talking about, where, where there's no... Um, you know, they, they don't have the sovereignty yet at that age. They don't know what they don't know. They don't have, so you're not stripping the power, but you're still, or the accountability. Uh, it's all on him. Accountability, right? Yes. And so you allow all that to take place. And then the learning that comes, that comes out of that, there are too many parents who don't want, and this is part of what we talk about at our informational sessions, right? Like we'll get a hundred families that'll come through for an informational session in a month thinking that they want their kids here. And I actually start with like a whole top 10 reasons you probably don't want to be here. I actually try to get people. Oh, I them. like this. And the reason I do that is because I know for a fact, most parents don't actually want their kids to go through something like that. They don't want that because they want to save, they want to protect, they want to bubble, they want a helicopter, they want to, whatever you want to call it. And, and, you know, however they're approaching it, they want to just have this protection, which I fully get, but they're not willing to let their kids go forward and fail. Right? And they really don't actually want that to happen. So um, they'll, they'll acquiesce to those things early. And that's where you get to 
um, a situation where, you know, your kid doesn't take on responsibility. The kid doesn't ever want to go outside. The kid doesn't want to, um, you know, push themselves to do harder and harder things because they've never had to, they don't understand the freaking glory that comes out of pushing through some hard shit and coming out the other side going, okay, now I'm different. And this is cool. And he was different. And he was He's different. totally, yes, he like was. totally 100%. different. And totally that's, different called, kid. that's called confidence, by the way. Right. Like that's what that is. Confidence doesn't happen unless you actually do some shit. Like, and he lost just, both his matches. Doesn't matter. And he was totally different kid for the better. Yeah. Like 100%. nuts. 100% far more confident, yeah. far more confident. And that's what parents need to be able to foster. And most do not want to do that. They want to avoid it. And, and now you get to these, you know, so we've got these low bar. And if he would, and Matthew, if he wouldn't have done it and he would have started crying, yep. I wouldn't have cared. I would have let him sure. come run in my arms and held him sure. and kissed him. And then right. like, I'm so proud of you that, that we made it this far. We'll try again next month. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Cause that would have, you would have seen, okay, look, there's a breaking point right there. And then we'll try again later. And, and it was and his decision further and further. And yep. it's his decision. Yeah. Man. You ran off yeah. to, if he would have run yeah. off and it's happened. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a nuanced game, man. But it's, it's like you said, it's never stripping that power and putting more and more small dragons in front of them to slay. And you should never fucking apologize for, for building up a dragon slayer when real fucking dragons exist out there right now. Like yeah. we have to have that. We have so many Good mental point. midgets um in, in our adults, right? That are building further, further and further down that lineage of, of that mental midgetism. And I've dude, I, I had so you got the apogee hat on, right? And so Tim and I have this this mentorship program that we run for young men. And I've had I had a young man get on a zoom call with me, um, that, you know, was maybe going to sign up for it. And he's 15 years old and mom comes on the zoom and she's like, ah, he's being kind of shy right now. And uh, he's in his bed, dude, with the covers over his head, he's 15. He's 15. We have 15 year olds that are running, you know, multiple and you, businesses. And you saw the whole reason in one thing. It's because and his mom's what, interfering. His mom's interfering and has for 15 years. I'm like, I have no desire to, uh, he cannot be part of this program. Sorry. Like there's just no way I can't fix that. You have set a foundation of 15 years of, um, just a foundation that I, I'm not going to tell you anything's going to be able to, un, like, he's going to have to get at a breaking point where he decides enough is enough. I'm going to change this. There's nothing I can do. That's going to help him. A, a friend of mine brought uh, one of my best friends in the whole world. He's an amazing guy. God, I hope he's not listening to this. Actually, it doesn't matter. He brought his kid over to my house, and I knew his kid was coming to my house, and I bought his kid one of those spin. Do you know those spinners that kids would play with? You spin them yep. in your hands. Yep. And I bought him one of those, and it was, a, it was an expensive one, like 40 50 bucks. It was all made of steel, and it was super intricate, and it did all these cool things. Yeah. It was so fucking neat. Yeah. And I gave it to him, and the kid took it and didn't say thank you. And the mm -hmm. dad told him to say thank you, and he wouldn't. Dad told him to say thank you, and he wouldn't. And he goes, oh, he'll come back and say thank you later. And it was great for me because I just thought to myself like, yeah, like my I, – I would take that from my kid and I would be like, dude, you know you can't have this until you look him in his eyes, shake his hand and say thank you. It's, it's, it's part of just – and yep. he let his kid off the hook for that and I just I, – I, I, I probably should have said something to him in the thing but – People should know there is no homeostasis. It's not like he got away with something. It's you taught him something bad Bingo. with kids. Yeah. It's always you're, you are either doing something good for your kid or right. doing something 
bad for your kid. That's there's, right. There's never That's like, right. there's dude. never like, oh, we didn't learn anything. Dude, you you are crazy if you don't think you they learned something. You are full of shit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Set that foundation early. I very much agree with um, Jordan Peterson has this whole thing about like parenting in the early years. And, you know, he's when those first five, six years, you are setting this foundation for who this person is going to be. And part of your job, your biggest job right there is to make sure they are not an asshole, right? Yes. Just make sure that they are a likable human because that's going to do them good in the long run. That is going to make it so they understand, so that people want to be around them, that people will listen to them, right? That they'll have influence, that they'll have relationships, that they'll have opportunities, right? If you allow them to be just this, ungrateful asshole, you know, human being, you are inherently limiting their opportunities. You're increasing exponentially the chance that they're going to be broken adults. Frederick Douglass said it's easier to build strong men than it, or build strong kids than it is to fix broken men. Right. And that's absolutely, it's absolutely true. Right. So you set that foundation early. Those things are non-negotiable. Manners are non-negotiable. Look at somebody in the eye communicating, saying, thank you, shaking hands. Those things are non-negotiable and it just sets up the foundation for actual confidence and, and relationships moving forward. Right. We were, we are very much a hundred percent, man. There is no way in hell my kid would have touched that thing ever. And that would have been um, they right there, like it would have been like, nope, you're going to say it before we even move on to anything else. We're going to stay yeah. here and make this awkward as shit. Until yeah. You do this. Yeah. You yeah. don't have a choice. It's, and it's an easy win for your kid. Super easy. You're not, a, you're not asking him to get out of the car and punch someone. Super easy. <laughs> Super easy. Yeah. Like you're going to make eye contact, say thank yeah. you. And you're going to get the best spinner exactly. in your life. It's so Bingo. easy. Bingo. That's that's literally how we start our morning meetings on campus. When I say morning meetings, the studios on this campus, whether it's the young ones that are four or five, six years old, do you know, seven, eight, nine, 12, 18, whatever it is, they literally are starting in a circle. They stand up, they look the next person in the eye, they say, good morning, Savon. Savon says, good morning, Matt. They look each other in the eye, they shake hands. They go around the circle and do that. And then they launch the day, right? Because so those dope. things are foundational to just making things happen. And it's bananas because so many people don't do it. We have had people walk into this campus. We've had this happen more than once where we have somebody come onto this campus for an informational session, right? They're coming in because they want to, uh, they're exploring, potentially sending their, their kids here to, to this school. And, um, you know, they go through, through all this and then I'll go, Hey, you know, if you want to go take a, um, if we want to take a break from the questions and you want to go take a tour kind of of the campus, you're not going to walk into where the studios are. It's a sacred space for these young people. But if you want to just kind of take a peek in, walk around, see what the campus looks like, go for it. We've got some of our high schoolers that are over here. They'll they'll take you around. They'll answer any questions that you got, you know. And so the high schoolers take. Oh them, right? wow, they're your docents. This the kids are the 100%. docents for the school. That is Absolutely. so awesome. The the younger the better, right? Because if that they're capable, so they can awesome. do that. Yes. And so the kids take them around. And, you know, they're walking up saying, Hey, you know, my name is so-and-so nice to meet you here. Let me walk you around. I have had multiple times where we've had that make, uh, I've had a, a, a gentleman come back to me and go, Hey, um, I need to hire that kid. How old is that kid? Like I need to hire him. Right. I need right. to hire him right now. We normally only hire college graduates. How old is that kid? Cause if, as soon as he's 18, like I need him to come work for me. Right. We have had parents who were driving by and it just happened to come in. And now we don't even have like, we don't have the ability to do that anymore because we have such a massive interest. We have to go through the informational sessions. But even prior to that, we had parents that, you know, drove by the campus and went, what the hell is this? Got out, walked up and were greeted by, you know, an eight-year-old, nine-year-old that said, hi, you know, my name is so-and-so. Nice to meet you. Are you, are you here to meet, you know, Mr. Matt? 
let me show you where he is, right? And they bring him in and they walk in and they go, what the hell just happened? Um, we were about to move out of the state of California, but that's ridiculous. And is that what you guys do here? Like we're going to stay and our kids are going to go here. I mean, all of these things are real things. And it's literally just because our young people have the confidence and the awareness and the understanding to go, hey, I'm going to look somebody in the eye. I'm going to shake their hands. I'm going to say, nice to meet you. I'm going to be a normal human being. And you would think we're introducing people to Jesus. Yeah. Not the Jesus that commented on the shot earlier, but like Jesus, the deal yes. kind of deal, right. right? Like you would the think one with they, the sandals, the one with the sandals, right? Because it's so unheard of for young people to have that kind of understanding in those kind of manners, which is that says, it doesn't say a lot about us. It says a lot about society and where we've kind of gone. Right. But it also says a lot about the opportunity for our young people then who will take on that massive responsibility, who are willing to be those good humans and, and hold themselves to those standards of integrity. The gap that it's going to create for them moving forward versus their counterparts, it's ridiculous. It's compound interest of, of good being a good human young. Right. It's like investing early in the compound interest by the time you're 70, you know, and you've put that $7,000 a month into that mutual fund and you got $20 million. It's that same thing. You put that foundational goodness of humanity in them young. The, the, the payoff on that is ridiculously high. How much does it cost to start one of these schools? Um, the IP uh, to gain access to the IP and to the network. And what I mean to, by the network is, um, you gain access to all every freaking conversation we've ever had, every system, every um, everything we're uh, the quests, the big projects that we're trying and continue to try, the forums where we're connecting with other owners around the world. Um, I think it's like it's like fifteen grand to to come in and get the IP. Um, but then the real cost is well, then what then what's next, right? It's the cost of the buildings, it's the cost of the people, it's it's all of that kind of stuff. But we don't want the you know the entry to be crazy big. Um you know, you come I, in. I, I'm 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 living in uh Scottsdale, Arizona mm-hmm. and I have hundreds of millions of dollars and I have these kids. Mm-hmm. Um can I hire someone to open one of these schools for me? Oh, of course. I can just find someone. Find somebody. Find like somebody. I want my kids yeah. to go to the school, but I don't want to move back to California. Yeah, and I'm and I'm and 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 I can afford it, and I want to start one of these schools. Totally, hundred percent. And if there's not, so you can check out and see mm-hmm. if there is one that's already open near you. Um, otherwise, yeah, if you would like to start some, then you bet you can find. But it's it's again, it's about finding the right people. Just like finding, just like we're looking to find the right people for the network. Um, and when parents come to my campus, I'm looking for the right parents because I want the right mindset and I want the right mindset of the young heroes. It's that same thing. You want to find, you know, you don't, you probably don't want a teacher. Um, you know, if you're going to have somebody running it for you, you probably don't want to pull somebody that's been a teacher for 30 years, right? Cause they've been trained in one particular way. You want to find the right, the right folks, but absolutely. Where's a list of all of these schools? I've only been to your site where I see those three. Is there a website yeah. that has you every just go school? To Acton, you go to actonacademy.org and there's a search function. Acton. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. When, when uh, I dress my, my seven-year-old, I basically dress him every day. I, 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 go, I go in the bedroom with him. I pick out his underwear with him, his pants, his shirt. I put it all on him. I hug him, I kiss him, I love on him. It's like my time with him. And at the age of five, he can't even put a shirt on um, because I do it for him every morning, but my two-year-olds can get themselves dressed. Mm -hmm. 
and I see that there's this um, uh, w- with a benign neglect. If you don't do a benign neglect, your your ki- you, you I, I shorted my kid. You know, it's n- not a big deal. I'm not I'm not judging sure. myself for it. Sure. I'm just using it as an example. Even to this day, yeah. I still do it, knowing that like I'm fucking them. I don't care. It's my selfish way of I just want that time with yeah, them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when I took him to his first jujitsu tournament, there's a there's a moment where you have to let the kid go, and they walk yeah. next to yeah. you. At, for about a hundred, uh, 50 yards in this big fucking auditorium with thousands of people. But I get to stay next to him the whole time. He's, he's yeah. six and I'm only two feet away from him, but he's on the other side of like one of those ropes. Yeah. And I'm holding on to him as they're going to take him away. And one of the other parents um, is who's, who's uh, my, my buddy, Josh, who's like twice the size of me, you know, I'm yeah. 150 pound guy. He's got maybe almost 300 pounds. He's like got my shoulder and hit him and Mike and his kids, the same age as my kid. And the kids are going and I won't let go of my kid's hand. Yeah. And this guy, Josh is pulling my shoulders. Like, dude, let go of your kid. I'm like, what do you mean? I'll just walk with him with my, you know, one hand on either side of the rope. We can just do it, dude. And I look at him, I go, dude, I still get him dressed in the morning. He's like, yeah, you need to stop that shit too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And he fucking just like, let go of your son. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. I almost start crying and my kid's only five feet from me. Yes. And, and I'm just like, what the totally. fuck is going on? Totally. And my buddy's like, like, dude, he's right there chill the fuck out yeah. and I, I i'm exaggerating a little bit for the sake of the story but it was such a um like i get it yeah like like it's hard it's i, I get it it's hard for parents yes it's uh, it's um absolutely is and it's we're like, told that the world is scarier and scarier so it gets harder yeah. and harder i get it but you got if, if you got to push yourself out of the comfort zone too as a parent bingo you have to you've got to do that otherwise that's exactly what you're doing otherwise you're handicapping them there's this Polish Jew, I don't know what he is, psychologist. I'm sure you know who he is. I cannot fucking remember his name. I watched a bunch of his videos. He's he's older now. He's probably 70 or 80. He's okay. got black, thick, black, curly hair. Polish Jew psychologist, black, curly hair. He says it talks a lot about parenting. I really like him. There's some things where he wants to argue. He does these big talks in these auditoriums. I can't, he does a lot of child Alfie, psychology. Alfie What's, what's his name? Alfie maybe that's Cone? who. Uh, maybe that's who it is. I'm gonna type in. Uh, I'm gonna see if that's him. He's probably 80 now, 70. I, I just know. found him. I just found him recently. He looks great. He has really thick hair. Let me see if uh. Type it into. Alfie's that old. Um, Alfie's might be, Alfie might be. No, Alfie's in his 60s. I think. No, but it kind of, but it could be, they could look like that guy. Okay. But older, but older. Okay. God, I could wish I could remember this guy. He's super famous. He, he, he was, he, he was, he was blowing up in my algorithm um, and YouTube. Anyway, he, he said this thing that I, I'm so curious what you think about. He basically said, he explains that when you're born as a kid, you are trying to stay alive. And you lose yourself because you are not willing to take the risks to stay yourself because you need your parents to stay alive. So you need your mom and dad for food and protection. And so you're willing to jump through any hoops to to stay alive. And because of the hoops that parents make their kids jump through, they lose themselves. He explains it so well. I have Dude. to find it. It's so, it's such a beautiful explanation. 
And there were some great lessons in parenting in there about how to, but, but I tie it to this thing about taking power from, from your mm. kids again, mm -hmm. like making de decisions for them that really they should be making for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, like it would be, it would have been so easy just to ant to react and, and and really you have to be you have to be able to create space and you, you probably have to have a meditative practice to be a great parent because your kids are going to ask you things that you really shouldn't answer. Do I have to do the jujitsu tournament? Right. There's no right. There, there's nothing for you to say there. That like you're going to, it's it's like this. Um. Um. Anyway, I, do you have any thoughts on that about people who um about that? It's it's like you know like kids who are beaten think that it's okay to be beaten until they're like twenty. Then they're like because it was how they survived, right? Yeah, they just think yeah. it's normal. They think that that's a normal deal. I, I see what. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying, and I, and I think it, it really does go back to obviously they need their basic needs met, but I think it really does go. Yeah, they're but yes, whole, it goes back to that whole. Um, in, in my head, anyways, I feel like it goes back to that whole like I'm, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do first, and then I'm gonna show you why why we do this together, and we'll have conversations around it. Right? Like they're gonna do what you do before you do what you say, kind of deal. Um, you know, I think uh, it really goes back to to that and leading by example and having conversations with them early on to get to where um, you know understanding ultimately takes place. But you're laying out, uh, you know, you're you're only laying out the rules that are kind of those foundational non non-negotiables after that it's laying out you know potential for decisions I, I don't i don't know i don't i would have to listen to um i want to see how to find how he frames that i guess what are some non-negotiables you have you with your kids we actually have um i never thought of it like that we actually have like a foundation like bodro family rules um, we actually have a family rule set that's, that is, uh, it's framed on our, uh, on our wall and it's the non-negotiables for just who we are as a, as a family, who we are as a group. And that's who we are collectively, but it's more importantly, it's who we are individually. Um, and so that means it's a non, it's, those are the non-negotiables for all of us. Um, which means I go, Hey, you know, Hey, Loudon, um, you know, this rule states this. And so I need you to, you know, to, to buy there's one of our rules is no complaining, fix it. Right. It's not worth com complaining about. We're not going to complain about things. We're going to come with a proposed solution. Right. And you can ask for help on some things and we can walk through a thought exercise of how do we fix this and make this better, but there's no complaining about it. There's no whining. We just come with, okay, this is a situation that I don't really um, dig. Um, and I either need to understand why the situation is here, or I need to figure out a solution on, on how to make it better. Right. That's a non-negotiable um, in our house. The flip side of that though, is that they have the ability to hold us to those standards as well. And they're expected to, right? So if um, one of our rules is to be an emotional ninja, right? That's a, that's one of the rules in our house. And all that means is, is that we know we're responsible for uh, how we react to any scenario. Ultimately it's up to us to decide how we view something, right? And it's, 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 uh, our reaction to whatever that is, is going to determine our perspective is going to determine how we move forward and it's going to build our perspective. So if daddy, that mom leaves the refrigerator open and daddy loses his shit because mom left the refrigerator open, I was not an emotional. They actually have the ability to call me out in that moment and go, dad, literally, like I just yelled at mom and said, what the hell? We're trying to save this electricity. That same example from earlier, they have the ability to go, dad, 
Rule number three is to be an emotional ninja. And you're not doing that right now. They have the ability to remind. So it's almost like our contract, our covenant with one another. Um, and so those kind of things, you know, it's really gets down into those values of that core integrity and honesty and, um, you know, the emotional control and not whining and um, having perspective and doing the right thing, always being the right thing. Um, we have those rules literally set out for us. I can send them to you if you want. Yeah, I would love to see that. How did you come up with them? Uh, we had a conversation. It's just like, what do we, who do we want to be? And it was a conversation around the dinner table, right? It was like, what do we think good people do? I mean, it was just very basic. It was just, what do you, like, what do we think good people do? Like, what do we, who do we want to be? If we could be the best possible people we could be, um, what are some of the things that, that we'd want to do? And so it was a, you know, it was all five of us kind of coming up with some basic ideas and, um, you know, is uh, the emotional ninja was just, was more my way of kind of, um, encompassing, you know, what, what had essentially come out of the conversation around our emotional responses. And, um, so we just kind of put fun names to all of those and, um, and slapped 11 of those together, which is kind of funny. I, too, I, cause we got 11 of them. Oh, like the essential 11, but yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I just looked up the word definition, the word integrity. I use the word a lot and, and, yeah. and a couple of the definitions here are um, incorruptible, um, firm adherence to a code, yeah. especially a moral code or artistic values. It yep. says the quality of being um, honest and fair. I don't really like the word fair. Um, yes. A state of being complete or whole. Do you remember the first person you met who had integrity? Do you remember meeting someone and being like, oh, shit. Hmm a really good question man um like when when you really met someone who I, was honest yeah you're like wow this is fucking nuts yeah and and just i the difference is real because i'm sure i probably did but meeting that person or uh or not just meeting them but realizing that or, or seeing that um is a different is a different thing because i probably i probably did know some more but gosh yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, of course. Record. That's yeah. a really good point. You probably met a thousand of them and then one day you see it in someone and you're just like, just what the fuck? Whoa. Like it just hits you like a brick. You're like, I want to be like that. Yeah. Just kind of those actions and those words are fucking right on top of each other. Right. That there, there is no, there's no marriage. God, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can pick out all this. Yeah. Like this was the guy or this is what I remembered. I don't know if I have that. I was raised to be nice. Yeah. Oh, the, for sure. And it, and, it, and it cost me my integrity. Yeah, for sure. You're raised to be a good boy. And, and I was very nice. Right. I was very nice. And it worked and it worked out very well for me. It was like you said, eye contact, shake hands, be pleasant. But I and, did it at the but but I did it at the price of integrity. And it's it cost me my integrity. That's right. And avoid so hurting that, other people's be feelings and, or what I perceive to be like, well, how Katie Couric just lost all of her integrity. Yeah. Did you follow that story? Uh, a little with, okay. So basically Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that, uh, Kaepernick is a complete douchebag. I'm paraphrasing. Right. Yeah. Like dropping a knee is like, and, and since she was the poster child for the left, yeah. Katie Turk took it on herself to say, oh, she was too old. She didn't mean that. She didn't know what she was saying. And 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 she, and she buried it. And it. with through that, Kate, uh, I mean, that that's like the epitome. That's like, it, and, and I was guilty of that as a kid too, not on that scale. But that Katie Turk now has no integrity, zero, gone, flushed her just your shit down the toilet. Yep. 
Yep. It just, and it only takes that. It only takes that one freaking, only takes that. One and she's still thing. trying to justify it. Yeah. Even justifying it's even worse. Like to be nice. Like, yep. Yep. Totally. Uh, I didn't tell Hitler to fuck off cause I didn't want to be rude and a few I thousand Jews burn. Totally. Yeah. Like what? Totally. Totally. <laughs> and that, so, and that's what gets exact. So like, that's where the new, that's where the nuance is, dude. It's so hard because you like, it's foundational. If my kids are going to be those, um, they, they need to have that. Hey, I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to, I'm going to shake your hand. I'm going to say nice to meet you. And then equally on the other side, as soon as that person shows themselves to be, um, you know, to, to lack integrity, I need to be willing to say, okay, cool. Here's how this needs to change. Otherwise our relationship together is no longer in existence, right? Like they need to have that backbone too. It's developing both of those things simultaneously when, right? It's that backbone when most people need a backbone, you fucking, you need a backbone and you have no ability to develop a backbone in government schools. You are rewarded. You get extra bonus points for just being nice following directions. And the best one at following directions is the winner, right? You get your, you know, you followed your little rubric, you get your stuff here. You did, you, you were the quietest one in line. You were, it's all about just everybody learn to follow directions and the better you can follow directions, the better human you are, you know, and, and the teachers are taught to exacerbate that too, right? It's all classroom. You don't go through a teaching credential program to learn child development and how people actually learn and grow. You go through on how to manage behaviors of young people and continuously manage their behaviors essentially into subservience. Like that's what that whole thing is about, right? So you get a, these good obeying young people, which, um, then all of a sudden fucking surprises people that we have a society who is so fraught with people who are willing to just obey and not think and not question. And then somebody that's not doing a good job following the rules. Well, then there's got to be some sort of punishment. They've got to have some sort of detention, right? We wonder why that shit happens. And isn't it interesting that the least educated demographics by fucking race and ethnicity are the best critical thinkers and the ones avoiding doing what the government is saying? There's this narrative going that and there's black skin melanated people pushing this narrative. And I challenge this narrative. They're saying that black people don't trust the government because of what happened in Tuskegee. And they give all these fucking examples where black yeah, people are yeah. used. I can say eat a dick. I'm going to tell you that these fucking people, because of their cultural heritage, it's not that they don't trust the government. It's that they're fantastic, critical thinkers. This is more of just that fucking narrative that black people aren't smart. It's soft bigotry. Mm -hmm. You, because a black person doesn't know in general, you're saying they don't know the fucking um, chemistry's chart of elements, um, that they're not smart and that they can't critically think. You're you, you're a fucking idiot. You're a fucking racist moron. You you yeah, you, right. you 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 are. Um, they can't register to vote. They can't use compute. Shut the fuck up. Totally. And Telling then, me it's because of what the government did to them. How about just that they're fucking smart and they can critically think because they weren't brainwashed by the school system? When have you ever met a fucking black man on the street who couldn't fucking articulate himself ten thousand times better than the white dude? You want to be racist? True. Yeah, and go to go to your college. Go to your college. That's what I love about what Will Witt does. It's right? Cra- go to the college. Crazy. To the it's campus. crazy. Go to the college campus and, and listen to them and see how if they can articulate a point. You know, the majority of them, it's just they're they're parroting. Um, you know, they're parroting horseshit. But there is no and and they have a fucking backbone. Bingo. The thing that white kids don't have, and why? Because they're brainwashed. Anyway, and it has nothing to do with color. I'm sorry to do it by say it by color. I'm just kind of appeasing the the demographic. Has to do with just the protocol and the culture of where they were raised. Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah, that's it's exactly perfect. It, 
Someone here, Leslie Smith, is asking any suggestions for helping a 13-year-old who is extremely introverted? Yeah. So is that introverted as in code for doesn't want to do anything or is that introverted? Right. So what I find, what we find a lot of times is parents use code words, right. And they'll, they'll kind of say, Hey, my child is, um, you know, my child is very extroverted when, when they really mean I've raised an asshole. Um, and I'm not yeah, saying Leslie, is I want saying, to give, I want to give one quick example. Um, my kid, I can't believe your kid eats vegetables. My kid doesn't eat vegetables. That that's, that's, Yep. I, I, and and I want to say gently to to Leslie, like that's what concerns me. Like, then don't feed your kid anything. Well, what do you mean he has to eat? Well, yeah, he has to eat vegetables. Well, he won't eat them. Well, then he's not going to fucking eat. Sure. Like like. Yep. Like like I don't I don't like sure. like he had rice and broccoli and some steak on the plate and he's still hungry and there's For broccoli sure. on the plate still. Okay, eat the broccoli. I mean, you are the fucking parent. How do you get your kid not to watch the iPad? Um take away the ipad there's no ipad i mean i don't know i I don't know what you want me to so when you say he's introverted i i I, leslie i don't know your situation but i just want to say it's because you let him be introverted you're you're speaking up for him or something and and that's the whole and so that's where that um that's where the nuance comes in but that's where that self-awareness comes in on on the parent side right is it just introverted as in this person i mean i haven't i have introverted students on this campus that are the most self-confident and self-aware young people, they just know they naturally are really quiet and would be no problem keeping to themselves, reading some books, working really hard on things. They're nice. They'll say hi to people, whatever, but it just doesn't charge them up. They're naturally more introverted, but at the same time, if they've got to go make a pitch because their business needs money and we're going to have you know developers on, on site and that's part of this next project, then they're going to go, okay, well, I need to go ahead and be extroverted for this. I'm introverted human being, but I'm going to need to do this because this is something that still needs to get done. Right. So that's introverted and that's fine. There's people that are introverts and that's, that's great. Some of the best keynote speakers I ever met are truly introverted people, but they're really, really good at communicating. And you would see them on stage and be like, oh my gosh, that person probably is just like the life of the party extrovert. No, they actually don't ever go out ever. Um, They'd rather stay inside, stay with their family and just kind of stay quiet. Like that's different. Is it introvert because they'd rather hole away? They have the iPad or the video games to go just you know, and they want to go put all their effort. Like that's a different kind of deal. So I would just kind of push back on like, what does that actually mean to be introverted versus, you know, what, what are you, what are you saying? Like what decode, what that actually means. My child is an, is an introvert. We're, but we're back to Socratic discussion that he's asking for a definition of a word instead of making an assumption. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. What, what does that mean? Is it, is it, is it, is it you? Is it him? Is it, is it you projecting onto him as introverted? Is he really introverted? Did he say he's introverted? Yeah, it's great. Introversion has more to do with where you get your energy from being shy or having social anxiety is a different thing altogether. I've been contemplating the current generation's find myself problem. Growing up, we weren't exposed to many different ways of life. So by the time we get out of college, we are looking for exposure. That was uh, uh, I'm just reading the comments. Says, did you know we're live right now, Matthew? Our experiences are oh, cool, man. Awesome. I mean, that's that's great. Bring on, bring on the questions. Um, yeah, I really like the live shows. Yeah, no, I think it's smart, super smart. And we, I even do a show where people can call in. It's pretty wild. No, I think it's super smart, man. Uh, I love yeah, it's it. fun. It's, cr- uh, it's crazy. 
the uh yeah i mean that's i i think what that last person i mean that's that's the big thing that we talk to our our young people about while they're here and what we try to provide here it's kind of goes back to that like why would you come to acton it's providing experiences um, right. And so you're talking about coming out of college and, and, you know, the previous generation and not having, you know, you're, you're looking for, I don't remember exactly how it was phrased, but I think that's it is, is that we don't have, um, enough experiences to, to really gain an understanding of, of who we are as individuals, what we're good at, what we're excited about, um, be able to figure out how to mash those two together. I'm really good at this. I'm also really excited about this. And if I can create a life around those things, then, then that's great, but you're not going to find that out until you have experiences. You know, we talk to the kids about, the adage of ready, aim, fire. And we think that's bullshit. It's, it's flip it around. It's fire, aim, ready, do something, go do many things, go do many things down all kinds of paths. And then once you do that, let those experiences then go, okay, well, I really hated this. And I was really, you know, maybe like just really naturally bad at, but God, I saw some gene. My genius is kind of over here. Cool. I'm going to kind of go down these two or three paths. Now you fire first that allows you to aim to eventually ultimately be ready. And so that, you know, this current government schooling system that was perpetuated really all the way through college, it eliminates a lot of actual experiences for somebody to understand what life's about or what they're about, um, how to mix those two together. You know, we confuse the experience of going to a prom and getting hammered and, and, you know, sleeping with somebody. I mean, that's the, I want my kid to have the normal high school experience. What does that mean? Right. What do you, what do you really want them to have? They need real life experiences. Starting a business is a real life experience, taking on responsibility and having to clean up, um, and having to fire another student. That's a real life experience. We had students fire some students a couple weeks ago. That means the students no longer go here. And I gave the parents refunds. That's a real life. Wow. That's a real experience, right? And that human who has gone through that at an early age, who is now going on to lead a family or to lead a company and lead an organization, they have a different, uh, you know, a different modality that they're working out of than their other people. Um, can, can you can you share anything about the firing story? Without, yeah, happens, I, I don't want to, I don't want to ask and like do anything. It to happens train every, anyone or, it happens every year. So, I mean, I can speak enough in the generalities for people to understand what we're talking about. So students on, on this campus, much like we have our, um, rules at home, right. And everybody's allowed to hold each other accountable to those rules, the non-negotiables for who we are just as a family and, and, um, kind of our code that we live by the studios on campus will create their code as well. Every year, the students will create their code. This is what our non-negotiables are here. We're going to operate in this fashion and we all sign it to be there. There's a whole signing ceremony. They sign it saying, look, this is, we're all, we we have agreed. We have come to this code together. It gives them something tangible to go back and have conversations around too. So they can go, Hey, you know, it doesn't matter if you're five, you're 12, you're, you're 18. You go, look, Hey, Jimmy, this, the code says this, you're currently doing this. So I'm going to need you to provide solution, right? Here's, here's what you're doing. This is how it violates this. I'm going to need you to do this. Here's the solution for it. How can we help you get there? Right. It allows for those tangible conversations around that. If somebody does not want to, somebody in that studio has signed that code and, and does and continues down, we've got multiple systems in place for this to play out. But ultimately what happens is if they are continuing to violate that code, 
and all the systems have been played out where the students have said, hey, look, the penalty for this code violation is this. Penalty for this code violation is this. They continue down that road. The students have the ability to get rid of them. Let's, so let's say one of the codes was you're not going to vandalize the school. Oh, and, yeah. I'm in, uh, and I'm in the shitter and I write um, – Sevon loves Kathy on the bathroom yep. door. Cool. And then they're like, dude, Sevon, you can't write. I, I know you like Kathy. It's yep. cool. But, and I know that yep. you probably weren't thinking you were, yep. you were doing ready aim fire. Yep. Um, yeah. But, but you got to go in there and you, you don't do that again. And you got to go in there and, and clean now the whole bathroom. Yep. And, so, and, and, and you have to apologize to the students for, um, then you got to say in front of the whole school, I'm sorry, this stall is going to be closed for two hours because I wrote in the stall today and the paint needs to dry. And I apologize for inconvenience. You guys, you guys got to take a shit down there. Cool. Yep. And then, and then I do that. Yep. Totally. Would that be an example of, so that's absolutely it. And that's, that's exactly that. We want the students to take the ownership of going, Hey, look, here's what you did. We're going to cut that down. Here's the solution. But, and so that can be like, yeah, cool. We're going to, we're going to take care of that. If Savon goes, no, I'm not going to clean that. Well, now we've got a very clear violation. This is a choice. This isn't a mistake. This is a choice, right? right. Cause you say, no, I'm not going to clean that. And then, depending on the violation and kids know, do that kids do that. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So depending on the violation, I can't imagine right? doing that as a kid. I go, Hey, look, and that's the earlier we have. the. I other- could write in the stall, but once I got caught, I would own up to that shit. Oh dude. But it's the earlier we have the young people, the better too. If somebody comes in at 12, 13, 14, and they've been in traditional conventional schools prior yeah. to that, the chances of them wanting to call that out and having the self-confidence to call somebody else out on that and hold that line and not feel weird about it, right? It's something they've been trained like, ah, then I'm not going to be the cool kid. I'm not going to be, it's a whole different scenario from their head. So it's much harder to come in later in life into this and just feel comfortable with doing that but our younger kids will just be like hey man that's you can't do that and then they'll oh yeah you're right okay sorry i mean you get more of that than anything else but if savan says no man i'm not going to do that well then there's a whole process of okay cool we're gonna we're gonna you know pull uh pull this kind of, we have like an internal monetary system that goes for you know you do the work you get paid for the work but there's also a excuse me a social component to it where it allows for those tangible conversations where I can go, okay, Simon, I'm going to need to pull some, uh, some of these lion bucks, you know, kind of for you. And, and then if you disagree with me doing that, you have a whole appeal process that goes to a jury of your peers. Like there's all of these systems in place to allow them to have real adult conversations. Um, ultimately up into if Savon continuously just says he's clearly showing he does not want to be here then the students have every right to, they've documented the process of him continuously violating that contract. And we're going to have to let you go. And they'll write an email to the families too, and just say, Hey, you know, we want that young person who's messing up to take ownership, have to let his family know what he's doing as well. That's part of that process going on. But if he continues to do it, the young people will write it and go, Hey man, um, you know, dear Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Matosian, really sorry to inform you, you know, this is something that's going on. Savon has, has chosen this. So we're going to let him go. We really, you know, wish him the best on his hero's journey and we're going to let him go. And then they will have the face-to-face conversation with Savon and they'll let him go. And then they'll alert me and I'll refund the family. Has a teacher ever been let go? Yeah. Holy shit. Yep. They just don't become a fit. It's just not a fit. And that, and again, there's no, um, no judgment on, on that, right? There's no uh, negative vibe on that. There's no, your journey is different than the journey we're all on here. 
Wow. Um, when I, when I hear you talk about your school, I'm like, uh, um, I have a, uh, I, I hear you do, I watched your Ted talk from 2015. I've seen you talk about it a few other times, but the Ted talk, TEDx talk was the one I watched last night. And I, um, there's, I'm, I'm cruising along. I'm like, Oh, this is cool. This is cool. And the second you say, and the t- kids can fire the teacher. And then it flashes to that picture of all those, everyone sitting in a room, kind of like um, in a discussion. I have a visceral reaction to it. Yeah. I have like a, 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 yeah. a, mi- a minor violent reaction to it. Yeah. And, and, and you, and you warn people before, like, and, and I don't know why I'm not like some defender of teachers or some sure. shit. Sure. I well, just, I something about it just rocked me. I'm like, no, 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 he's, he, you can't do that. You can't fire the teachers. Like I have this, uh, yeah. Well, and I'm disturbed by it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's like any other. So if we look at it from like an organizational standpoint, right, I can't just go, you know, you don't just go fire somebody because you're like, ah, shit, you had a red shirt on today. I don't like red shirts. See you later. Right. You can't just do that. Right. Because then you're going to have all kinds of you're going to have all kinds of issues. Same thing. Students aren't just like, eh. You know, they always listen to to shitty music when they drive in. So we're going to let them go. There's a very clear uh, code, a very clear contract that it's a it's contract of promises that our guides have made the young heroes too, right? And so they all work together when they're creating these contracts. This is how the studio is going to operate. As a guide, my promises to you on your hero's journey are going to be this. I'm going to be able to hand over responsibility. I promise I'm not going to ask questions. I'm only going to speak um, with growth mindset. I'm not going to be sarcastic and antagonistic. I'm not going to, um, you know, have any, like, we have all these contracts and this code too, and that guide will sign that and go, look, here's my promises too. So they can't just if they're going to let a, a, a guide go, it's going to be because there was a violation of those principles that they've agreed to, right? There's a clear I violation. I could never be a guide if that was one of the principles. Can't be sarcastic. And what was the other thing? Antagonistic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, one yeah. Of my, that's one of my core characteristics. <laughs> For sure. For sure. that's okay that's okay i can still fund i can still send a kid to the school i just can't be a guide and so it do and it's being a guide (sighs) is so freaking hard it's so much harder than being a teacher yeah it's so much harder because ultimately you have to teachers it's about here is here is me and my infinite wisdom and here is what i am going to teach you i'm going to make you learn this and then you're going to respond back to me with what the words that I said earlier. And that's how we know that you have listened to me and taken my knowledge and passed it on. Right. Whereas we're going, hmm, we're going to question you. Um, we're going to allow you to ask questions. We're never going to answer your questions. We're going to question you back. We're going to allow you to just kind of explore. We're going to point your eyes to the horizon. We're going to say, where do you want to go? What do you want to learn? We're going to open doors. We're going to ask if you want to go, you know, through those doors and, um, we're going to kind of be this whole, you know, do this whole psychoanalysis the whole time. Cause you know, if I ask this question, how is Savan going to react? But if I ask this question while he's working in a group with Matt too, um, what are they going to do together? How do they interact together? And then, okay, well, if we bring, if we bring Josh, you know, over here too, and we know how he is. So that, I mean, this is, it's a vastly different thing and you ultimately have to make it not about yourself because you're asking all these questions and then going okay cool and then what systems do i need to make sure are in place so that they don't even know i'm here like how do i become super invisible but they still go off and kick ass and grow at you know the fastest rate possible that's so hard such a different mindset how many of these schools are there in the united states uh in the u.s we're coming up on about 100 and i think we're about 175 ish maybe we're looking about 300 globally and when i say 
300 globally, that doesn't mean all 300 have, you know, a full on built out 150, 200 students like this. Some of them do. And then some are just starting up and maybe intentionally starting with just four and five year olds. Right. Because remember what I was like, uh, you bring in a high school student that's gone to school forever. Yeah. Good luck. Like ridiculously hard. Um, so they're starting with four and five year olds and then the next year they're going to just let that grow organically. Right. So we have some that are just starting like with an elementary and they're just going to grow organically from there. But yeah, so we got about 300 globally, 175, I think ish us. Have you had people move into the area just to go to the school? All the oh, time. I'm going to move yeah, what all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's funny. I, cause, uh, it, it's definitely something. It's definitely something like I, like I would move, I would, I would move anywhere for my kids. I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'm just totally. really, I, I don't really know. Um, it's, it's funny that you say that um, shoot. What what did you say? Shoot, aim, fire, or uh, fire, aim. Yeah. Shoot, it's not no. ready. Aim. It's not ready. Aim fire. It's fire. Aim ready. Right. Fire aim, aim ready. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I am with my parenting. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing, Yeah, but I'm, yep. but I'm fire, but I'm firing. Like, yep. I don't like, I don't know why we're do we we I keep them busy from morning to night even if their free free time is them keeping busy too mm-hmm. and I don't know what, I don't know exactly what the end goal is but I definitely know what they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, that over analysis paralysis is a killer man. That's yeah. Right. Yeah, I definitely know what they Yeah. So I yeah, definitely had, know at three o'clock in the afternoon when they say, Hey, can we watch TV? Which, which they really don't do. Don't do, do but, anymore. But, but like, yeah, exactly. I, there is no, like, there's no matter how tired I am there, no matter what, there's no giving into that. Like I have my non-negotiables, yeah. like, like what the sun's right. out, shut the fuck up, right. get out of here. Go outside. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. No, we have, we've had people move um, quite a bit and, and, you know, which is, which is awesome. Um, and, and that's a huge compliment. Um, and I also want to, you know, obviously get to the point where we don't have to have anybody move anywhere because there's something that's near them where they are. Yeah. You know, is there one in Santa Cruz? Um, I believe there might be a group getting ready to get up and running. I know we had a guy that was looking a while ago. He ended up not being kind of the right, he was kind of in it for the wrong reasons. Um, I would have to double check, um, and see if there's anybody that's getting something up and running in Santa Cruz. we got a couple that have come up in the Bay area. Um, for sure. Um, what are the wrong reasons you want to make money? Yeah. Good luck. I mean, yeah. really honestly, I guess it's a hard, it's a hard business to really, to make money in. And if that's really what you're in it for, yeah, good. Um, yeah, good luck. I mean, mostly, you know, the, the right people, the ones that we found and pushed through, because this is hard. It's a hard bit. And I run, you know, I run a couple of businesses. This one is by far, this is, there's nothing harder than this because you're dealing with, um, you know, young, young people are, are the easiest part of it. You're dealing with all the preconceived notions of parents that have grown up in traditional schooling and conventional schooling and all of their fears and all of their, you know, that's, that is really hard. Um, and, and then trying to find the right people, trying to find the right guides. You're in this climate of just, you know, friggin' hot mess in California. So it's a hard, it's a hard deal. So somebody has got to have that really strong why. And most likely that's usually going to be because I, I, they need something for their kids. You know, they want something different. Uh, do most of the, so, so do most of the people who start the school, they start it cause they have kids almost and they always. want Yeah. Okay. Almost always. Okay. okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing. I, I, um, because, because I see so many other parents, I see so many parents taking opportunities away for their kids yeah. or like they feel like a coach is being too harsh or, or not nice enough or, and just, 
Yeah, man. I didn't even think about that. It's not dealing with the kids that you deal with. So if you have 150 kids at a school, you're dealing with 300 parents. And that's right. And so the hard and, thing. And they're just emotionally biased. They're just oh, all. So that's part of that whole filter. Process. Correct. Okay, I'm going to ask a super big, super big favor. I re- I want to talk about that parenting part. If I, yes. if it's okay, can yeah. I run and go pee really fast? I'm, oh yeah. 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 I'll go to pee too. I'm not going to mess anything up. Yeah. Okay. This is my show. No, no, no. It's a live show. Uh, everyone take, everyone take three. like a hundred and how many shows 175 shows in and no one's ever asked to take a pee but i've probably taken pee in like half of those shows can you believe it and finally at show 176 a guest asked to take a pee i can't believe how perfect that is hope you guys are enjoying this i wish this guy had one of these schools near me i would consider sending my kids to school there It sounds awesome. It's amazing how much kids can just learn on their own. You just bring them, not necessarily on their own. I don't mean in a vacuum. Obviously, none of us learn in a vacuum. But you get them in front of the right instructor, not the right instructor, the right situation, the right environment, and they're going to flourish. I take my kids to so many teachers, now they've learned how to become teachers. Taking them in front of so many instructors, they learn how to become instructors. Let's all take a whiz. Good idea, Steve. Do these kids CrossFit? If so, how has that been beneficial to the process? That's a great question. I mean, clearly this guy's in shape. And I've heard him talk on uh, Mark Bell's podcast that he, he, he puts a premium on staying fit. I think he does something every single day. And he's extremely disciplined. Doesn't fool around. I wonder what his other businesses are. Okay, I'm gonna ask him that question. What are his other businesses? And then we were saying, and then what? What about? Oh, parents. Parents being emotional. The 300 parents for the 150 kids. We'll do that, and then then I gotta go take my kids to play tennis. I should ask my wife. If we're uh, should I call my wife right now? Live on the show. Let's see. Uh, Haley. Bam. She's in the room next door. Maybe she's not going to answer. Text her. Hello, you reached Haley. Damn. I'll just text her. It rained here today. First rain of the year in California, in Santa Cruz. 
minus and 15. I think they canceled my SOGO. I used to have this SOGO snacks um, discount code. Did you guys know that? You could put, you could go to SOGO snacks and type in three playing brothers and you got 10% off. He was actually going to give me the money for sending people there, but I told him just, nah, just use it to give the people who buy it the discount. But I don't know if he does that anymore. I think that guy, I just ordered some. I need to order some more, but I think that guy got a, um, I think that guy had a supply chain issue getting his meat. He was getting his uh, grass-fed meat from New Zealand. Hey, uh, Matthew. Yes, sir. I'm I'm 170, so I'm racing to 500 shows. I'm doing like I'm doing at least one show a day, sometimes two shows a day. Nice. And I'm at show 176, and I've taken a pee break in at least half of those shows. And you're okay, my first good. guest. You're my first guest who's taken a pee break. I'm really impressed. That's um, that must be your assertive training. And I'm sure others have wanted to say it. They just haven't had the 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 assertiveness, the integrity. Oh. I, I uh, maybe that's what it is, or maybe it was just actually getting painful enough to where I was like, hey, man, I just have to, I got to rock and roll. Cause I think it was somewhere around uh, the Polish Jew where I started going, this is all right. Now it's getting, you know, no, so, oh, good, good, <laughs> yeah. good. No, it's funny, man. I actually have a bunch of really, I wish I didn't, but I have a really, a bunch of really good P stories. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you were talking about, 300 parent emotional parents yes all of those emotional bias to 150 kids so that is i think currently that's our biggest um chart is i'm looking at running you know running these campuses and ultimately everything i do is a microcosm of what we're doing on campus too i want the campuses and they really can i want them to run without me having to be a part of that not that I don't want to be a part of it because I love being here. I bring my kids here every day and I get to hang out here. Like I get to be here. It's fantastic, but they don't need me to run. Um, but my biggest uh, point of influence currently is working with the parents. So it's both on that filtering upfront of just trying to give that context upfront for those parents going, Hey, you are going to need to allow this hero's journey to take place. Everybody loves the hero's journey archetype uh, and they love the whole, you got to battle the dragons, but you overcome, you come out the other side and you're this stronger. Everybody loves that until it's their kid who's having to battle that dragon. And then you don't love it anymore. Then it's scary. Then you want to jump in and go, well, this is why my kid is different. And this is why, right? Everybody wants to do that. So I'm trying to front load as much of that as possible up front. And then once we do that, and, and and I just, you know, it's part of the reasons you probably shouldn't be here because you probably do want a helicopter. You probably do want to, you know, they get people get past that part. Then I try to pour into the parents as much as I can. So like we will do weekly. I have so many parents who are entrepreneurs here on campus. And so I'll do weekly uh, mastermind meetings where I'll bring all these entrepreneurial parents in and we'll just have discussions about their business and what they're doing. And I try to pour into that and help them in that regard. Nothing to do with their kids because I know if I'm pouring into them and making sure they're on their own journey then it's more likely that not only are they going to lead by example at home, and that's going to ultimately trickle down to their young people, but they're more likely to understand their child also on his or her own journey. Right. So I'm trying to pour into the parents that way. Um, 
even doing all those things proactively, you still get some of those parents. So I try very, very hard. We had a parent, great guy, email a bunch of questions this, this weekend. And I just respond back. Same kind of thing. Here's a bunch of questions in return. Are you trying this? Have you done this? Have you thought about this? What do you think about this? And I tend to not get as many responses, um, from that too. So systemically speaking, I'm trying to arm our parents as well to where they also know every single thing that is going on because they should have those conversations with their kids, but it's not because they've had to come ask the guide or come ask me or come worry about this is because their relationship with their young hero is so solid that they know everything that is going on. What do you think about that program outward bounds? Um, I don't know a ton about it, but I mean, it sounds from what I understand, it sounds like a pretty cool sort of deal. And actually the guy that I think was going to start something in Santa Cruz, I feel like he came out of that program to tell you the truth. My friends who, my friends when I was younger who went on that program, it really affected them. Yeah. In a good way. In a great way. Yeah. Yeah. It's experience. Um, if, 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 if uh, easy for me to say now, but if I had a 17, if, if God forbid one of my boys is 17 years old and he gets into heroin, mm -hmm. um, I would just kidnap him and, um, uh, put him in a box and ship him to Africa. And I would show up there and we would live in a village for three months with nothing naked. Yep. Yep. The, amongst the people and yep. till he woke the fuck up. Yep. Um, I, I don't know what the program is, but for those of you who have kids and you want to change them, I'm sure there are programs out there. I don't know what they are, but there are programs like outward bounds that uh, will um, unfuck your kids. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but you have to let, let them go and let that, let that happen. There, yeah. there's an incredible movie of these inner city kids from Baltimore who were sent to Africa. And they basically, it's a, uh, it's not the Lost Boys of Sudan. It's something like that. I want to say it won the Academy Award. But basically, they were sent to Kenya and they lived in a village with no electricity, no running water, no cell phone service. And they were there for like three months. And after three months of being there, they didn't want to come back to Baltimore, to the inner city. Not a single one of them wanted to go. Yeah. And after three months, none of them wanted to come back. Yep. And what was crazy is all their ghetto slang and all that shit was gone. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it left right. their fucking vernacular. It was Perfect. fucking, it's the most amazing fucking movie. Perspective, dude. And that shows. But you can, but this, this kid who's, sorry, sorry, Matt, this no, kid who's 15 good. years old who's in, in introverted 13. I, I, I want to be really nice to you, uh, Leslie or Lindsay or whatever your name was. Um, I, I, it's, it's gotta be your fault. Oh, the boys of Baraka. Thank you, Garrett. Yes. Okay. The boys of Baraka. Crazy, crazy I'll movie. Look. I'll have to look that up. The boys of Baraka. Yes. Boys yes. of Baraka. Yeah, dude. I mean, talk about just a straight up perspective shifter, man. I mean, that's yeah. all it is, is perspective shifting. You know, we had, uh, had late, you know, Leif Babin. Um, do you know Jocko, like Jocko Willink, right? I know, uh, I know of him. I just know okay. him from like Instagram. He's the guy who posts like I woke up at four thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. Watch every day. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he and Leif. Uh, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so envious of that. Like, how the fuck do you have a million followers and you just post your fucking watch? He just, like, <laughs> he. Like, uh, what am I doing wrong? He yeah, I mean, obviously, you may need to get a different watch. Um, 
Yeah. And I mean, these guys are, you know, obviously former SEALs and, and the their leadership mentality and all the things they're doing in leadership with Echelon Front, their company is um, doing some really, really, really great things. And they're leading by example. They're brilliant. They're brilliant guys, not just badass dudes and, and SEALs, but, um, you know, just brilliant, brilliant guys in general. And so he and La- uh, Leif Babin worked together and Leif came on uh, the Essential 11 last week and was with some of our Apogee boys. Um, and they were talking about, he was talking about perspective and talking about, you know, thinking about what hard really looks like and talking about how we don't necessarily, there's not a whole lot of hard things actually in this country a lot of times. And, and your perspective is skewed on that. And when somebody says something's hard, it's hard in respect, you know, uh, in respect to what, and he was given an example of being in buds and going out to surf torture and, He's talking about you can always tell who is going to be, um, who is going to make, who's going to make it through, and it's the mindset of we're all dealing with this shit. But am I uh, optimistic in the middle of the suck, even if things are going to continue to suck? Like when you asked earlier, are you optimistic? I'm very optimistic for myself and my family and my community moving forward. I am not necessarily optimistic of the country at large, but I'm optimistic in what we're going to do and whatever the hell happens, right? Because we're going to be proactive about that. And Leif said, you can, you know, see me lay there and surf torture and everybody's freezing. And they can look to the left and this guy, you know, left will just have the thousand mile stare and just be like, this sucks. And he goes, this guy's not going to make it. And he looked to the right and this guy is laughing his ass off going, oh my God, this sucks. That guy's absolutely going to be fine, right? Because his perspective is different. Same situation both saying the same damn thing, but their perspective is completely different, which is why he's going to be okay. That's what we're talking about in terms of modeling these things for our kids. And those kind of examples, you are bringing these young people out of a, out of a shitty situation to what could arguably be a worse situation, maybe. Um, but you're looking at the perspective of all those people around going, oh man, we're actually back to the basics. It's some, you know, it's simplistic. We're all happy. We're all uh, working together. And it's a perspective shifter on what life could look like, what hard actually is. It's all of those shifts, man. And that's ultimately as a parent, that's what we're doing for our kids with every freaking decision we're making, um, you know, is, is giving them that perspective in a good way or a bad way. You, you said something that exactly what Greg Glassman used to preach to me for the, for the 15 years, I worked very closely with him. He said the tsunami of chronic disease is coming. And when he said the tsunami of chronic disease, and he told the world that over and yep. over and over, and he yep. told them to cure for it. And he also told us over and over that he has no hope for, um, no hope or optimism for healthcare as a whole. He's basically, it's done. Yeah. It's it's f- completely fucked. But what yeah. he did have optimism for and, and knew would be successful is the people who took their health into their own hands. That responsible and, person. And, yeah. and ate, yeah, and ate basically, you know, um, meat, vegetables, nuts, seeds, little starch, no sugar, you know, his, his whole. And then on top of that, they did some movement. He knew that those people would be absolutely fine and and that these CrossFit gyms that he would that were affiliating all over the world, if they partook in his experiment, that they would build a hedge against chronic disease and they would be fine. But that there was no cure by going to the hospital. Like he knew that the tsunami and the the weird part is is he never predicted that it would be disguised as a virus that's killing, you know, people who are thirty years complicit in his demise. But I mean but it's no surprise, right? You drink Coca-Cola for the last 30 years and you smoke cigarettes and now there's this little fucking bug going around and it's killing people and you want to say it's the bug. It's, 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 like, it's like walking on a high wire in between two giant tall buildings and the wind blows and you blame the wind. It's like, That's no, right. no, dipshit. It was that you were on a high wire between two high buildings. 
anything, anything to take responsibility and put it outwards. Yes, yes, yes. Anything yes, to point the finger yes. outwards, man. Anything to point the finger outwards. Yes, it's so fucking crazy. It's a, it's amazing, and that's how deep the conditioning goes, man. It is anything, anything going outwards. Yeah, but man. he was very optimistic, like you are, about his about his cohort. Yeah, that's right. The people, I mean, the people in his um. In in his in his group, kind of in yeah. his circle, yeah. I mean, because like I said, hope is not hope is not a strategy. For no, anything. right. Like it's never a strategy. So it's like, okay, cool. No, well, what's next? Well, if it's next, where you're gonna have to, you know, get a jab to to work or to get it and whatever. Like we're gonna go ahead and be proactive against all of this to to the best of our ability. And our mindset is is you know it's a it's a freaking steel trap, and we're gonna just keep moving forward, man. It's that perspective. It is, it is weird for, um, it is, it is weird for me that I've been, I've been to all seven continents. I've seen famines on three continents and, um, uh, and, and been deeply integrated, uh, f- filming them and, and seeing kids who are like uh, dying from starvation. Mm-hmm. And then to be in the United States and hear idiots talk about food droughts and, and, <laughs> and just shit that's like, just making up limitations and their excuses and then being that I was homeless and, and to hear people like um, it's it, 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 spending tons of time in Africa and hearing people talk about black people. They don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. Right. Um, even even, even it, whether you're white or black in the United States, you have no idea what you're talking about. Skin color is just nothing that and it's, and those- it's just so fucking crazy to get a little perspective. Like, like, you know, nothing about skin color if you've never fucking spent three months in Africa. That's right. All over the continent. You know, not like, you know, you know, no, shut the fuck up. And I don't even know where to start with these people. It's those exposures. There's no way there's, there's very limited way to help. I I think because experiences are what gave you the perspective and and the maturity, right? The experiences are what provided the growth. Um, And it's the same thing as we were talking earlier about the experiences of being a parent versus I, I, dude, I was the perfect. I was the perfect parent before I had kids. Yes. I knew exactly what everybody should do all the time, all the time. Then you have kids and you go, holy shit, way harder, also way better, right? Way yes. harder than you thought, also way better. You have no way to, to really have that perspective until you have those kids. These experiences are that same thing. So until we have experiences, you're a baby, right? It's, it's um, you know, you're talking to grown adults, so we forget. It's the same thing as talking to your you know, your four-year-old who is still refusing to go in the toilet, right? They're just like, I'm going to go over here. I, I really want to continue wearing diapers. I'm going to go hide in the corner and shit in my pants. Like, and you're sitting there as an adult going, I'm telling you, life is better when you stop shitting in your pants. Like, I promise you it is. And to you, it's just like, oh my gosh, okay. I've got the, I've got the maturity to see this. These people that have no experiences and they've grown up in this bubble and they've oh, had these few perspectives, right? It's the exact same thing. They're just haven't grown into that maturity yet. They haven't had the opportunity. They're still shitting in their pants, you know, uh, culturally speaking or philosophically think, you know, uh, speaking, they're still shit in their pants and they just, they haven't gotten out of that yet. Uh, and they want to defend it. Going back to what you said about this guy, Leif Babin and Jocko yeah. Willick, Willick, Willick or Willis? Willink. Willink. I don't yeah. know them. But yep. I do. I, I I did have the um uh did have the honor and 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 privilege 
to in the luck and the fortune, whatever, to work with a lot of people in the military and yeah. a lot of SEALs. Yeah. And one of my one of my um, dear friends is uh, was a, is, was a SEAL, yep. and then he pushed himself further and became part of Dev Group. Um, at which SEAL Team Six, yep. and he then I worked side by side with him in my job when I worked at CrossFit, yep. and he was an extraordinary leader. And yep. I had never even I'd never even thought of what leadership was. I just thought leadership was the captain of the soccer team or the guy mm-hmm. who manages the Safeway in the corner or whatever, you know, like the supermarket. And over the fifteen years I worked with him, I really started seeing leadership, and I really started seeing professionalism. And I had mm-hmm. never seen leadership or professionalism. I thought leadership and professionalism was like wearing a suit yeah. and um, being president of the United States or wearing yeah. a or what Tim Cook did or like what Steve Jobs did. Like I thought that was professional. Uh, Steve Jobs is a kind of a bad example because he he redefined professionalism too. But I, I thought it was like um, stuffy suit shit. Yeah. Like yeah. being polite and nice and standing up and, and doing what the crowd wanted and kissing babies. And then recently in the last three, five years, I've heard people criticize my friend for not being professional. He's in a very, very top executive position, forward facing in the company of CrossFit, Dave yeah. Castro. And yeah. and I'm and I realize, oh shit, this is a guy like Jocko and Leif yeah. whose decisions were at the highest level of professionalism because their wrong decision in a leadership position could get them or other people killed. Sure. It's not that they're not being professional. It's these other fucking idiots don't recognize professionalism. They don't know what professional is. They think the kid right. with the diaper is the right. smart one because right. he doesn't have to take, he can just shit in his pants. Right. Totally. <laughs> That's like, exactly it. That's exactly it. And I'm like, holy shit. That's exactly it. That's Dana White's another great example. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's a genius. Like, yeah. It's like, dude, you were witnessing a leader and a professional. Yep. Just yep. because he's not shitting in this. Don't get it confused. You have it ass backwards. That's exactly right, man. That's yeah, exactly yeah. right. That's, that's a uh, spot on. And it's that, it's that conditioning. And that is the, um, Hey, you know, you guys are running uh, an alternative. You guys are running an alternative school. You know, I hear that all the time. Uh, um, that's alternative education. Don't get it twisted. This is education. School is the radical alternative. And it's been this hundred year experiment versus what we've been saying is, you know, kind of since the dawn of humanity, how people have learned and become educated and what they've gone, you know, the ability to go on and do great things has always looked like this. This last hundred year experiment of school is not education. Don't get it twisted. But that's where that that's where we've gone as a culture is that that is education and, and anything outside of that is alternative. Um, that's a it's Didn't same Dar- Darwin and Einstein kindly kind of had the Acton Academy experience. Anybody that anybody that had to take on responsibility at a young age and learned from masters ahead of them, learned from coaches and took on like an apprenticeship kind of, you know, mind and mindset and had a good mentor in front of them had an Acton Academy experience. Mm. It's, it's back to the basics, man. Back yeah. to the basics. You're capable you're responsible. You're driving the ship. There's some, there's plenty of masters around you and there's a community around you and, and lean on them and move your ship forward because you've got things to do. Are you, are you still, are you making new connections every day? Yeah. All the time, whether it's through acting, through Apogee, through whatever, it's all the time. Yeah. It must be exciting. It's the best. 
a lot. I mean, you genuinely, I don't think you can get into education, even traditional. I don't think you get into that if you don't actually enjoy people, you know, and, and, um, so that, that selfishly is super exciting. I love, you know, I love, I love, I love this. I love getting to know, you know, just in this past year, getting to know you and an occasional text message or occasional phone call with you sitting down for a couple podcasts with you. Like that's fantastic for me. It, it selfishly, it enriches my life too. You know, do, do you know the Spartan guy? Uh, the guy that started the Spartan race. Yeah. I think his name is Joe DeSana. Yeah, I know who that is. I do not know yeah, him. Yeah, I, I was. I think I sent you a text message a few months ago. I saw him speaking, and I thought, "Oh, me and Matthew and him should do a podcast, the three of us together." I remember that. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yep. And I but and I, I and I, and then somehow I dropped the ball on that. It was an idea I had, and then I think someone put me in contact with him. I need to dig through my emails. Very cool. Yeah, he's not somebody. Um, he's not somebody. I think he's doing cool shit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know a ton. Of, I don't know. A ton I, th- I think he's just he's pushing people out of their comfort zone. Good. And I think he's really focused on I think he's focused on kids, too. I think he has like a wrestling academy for kids. That's awesome. Yeah, I think he's yeah. really pushing. And then have you ever met Greg Glassman? Um, I've never met Glassman. No, because he wasn't the only, um, you know, I've never I've never been to any of the the larger events. He was not at the L1. I did an L1 um, years and years and years ago in Aromas. Uh, wow. And, and I, what year do, was that? I'm going to go 2000 and eight, maybe. Um, I mean, it was a while ago. And so I want to say you may have been there. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I'm guessing I was there. I really think you were. Um, I think you were there. I can tell you I right now. Almost all of them back in the day. Uh, yep. Um, I believe, no, I know for a fact, Kalipa was coaching was one of the, uh, was one of the coaches there. Um, and, um, the only other guy that I remember who was going through and getting the L one at that time was a guy named Neil Maddox, who I know went on to be, a, uh, who was a beast. He was uh, taking the L one with you. Neil Maddox he was taking the L one was, was That's Neil awesome. Yeah. I remember Freddie. I remember Freddie. <laughs> yes. Camacho, yes. Uh, kind of running the show. Um, so yeah, it was back in the, back in like 2008. Isn't it weird? I had no idea you were even had any, I didn't even know you had any, it's such a small world that these same people gravitating, these are all personal, um, accountability, um, people like the people who do CrossFit are very interested in, in accountability. I mean, that's basically what CrossFit is selling accountability. Bingo. And that's what, so when you're talking to the, such a weird product. Isn't it? And it's kind of strange, but it, you're right. And so it does, it shrinks the world down, man. We're talking about at the very beginning of, of some of the guests that I've been you know, lucky enough to, that's, that's a common thread, right? The common thread is these are people that believe in accountability and, and they care about the next generation. That's and it. if you, and, and that, and that goes back to what we were saying before about independence. If you can kill your own food yeah, and you can build your own share, shelter, yep. you're, you're, I know as as silly as it sounds, especially to someone who's driving, you know, has three Mercedes in the driveway and has a job that pays $400,000 a year. But if that were to vanish, which it could vanish overnight, don't think it couldn't. Hopefully it doesn't for you. But your ability to get protection from the elements and catch a deer that runs through your yard. That's right. Pretty, pretty fucking important. I don't think the um, total side subject, I don't think the new owners would know who bought CrossFit Inc from Greg. I don't think that they know that that's what they're selling. Totally different game. So I haven't been, I've been out of the game. I haven't really followed. So it's, I know there's a guy named Eric running the show. I don't know much. Yeah. About him. It's a um, trip. 
It's a trip. They, I think that they think they bought Harley Davidson, mm. but they really bought the Hell's Angels. Mm. Yep, got it. I think they bought a motorcycle manufacturing plant, and they bought uh, a group of guys with the same, with a with the. Anyway, it's it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be very very. It was um. It's going to be very. It's it'll be. It's it's an interesting thing to watch. Can you take something that was basically a movement and turn it yeah. into a business? Yeah. And the only reason why Greg even got into activism is because these fuckers in pharma and in sugar were in, in big food were basically um, perverting the health sciences. They were saying stuff that wasn't true about fitness and food. So he had to kind of like push back. As he should. Yeah. As he should have. Yeah. That's, that's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. How do you keep that? Um, if you've got a bunch of, uh, a bunch of hell's angels who want that, that culture to remain be interesting to see how that, how that pans out. Yeah. I don't know. And that's, that's the danger, man. That's the danger of this. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's what I don't want to, um, I would never want to pervert on our side is the continuous, like this is ultimately a, um, it's very much a, a movement. It's very much a building the bigger building versus trying to tear the other one down. It's a different kind of thing. Um, and the, the threat of becoming corporatized, um, is the threat of essentially setting ourselves up to become exactly what public government schooling has become. Right. And I uh, want to avoid that at all costs, man. I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example. He, he, Greg's running 15,000, uh, uh, an organization that's sort of at the, at the top of the pyramid of 15,000 gyms worldwide. Right. Mm-hmm. And he does everything in his power, never to fucking take the money and endorse a protein powder. Yeah. Never to endorse yep. a vitamin, yep. never to endorse yep. like a shoe, totally. never to like, yes. and, but the problem is, is that then the second he's gone, this, that, exactly. that structure is set up there mm. to fucking take advantage of all of those people in that structure when oh. the whole premise of that, do you get what I'm saying? And I that's what, and that's, what's basically happening. These people saw all these people are like, Oh my God, Greg's leaving so much money on the table. He's a fucking idiot. Well, that's because they were coming with the presupposition that that was his goal. And that's exactly right. Because that's, that's exactly. the way, because that's the way the world thinks. Yeah. And, exactly. uh, and so yeah. now it's basically like, um, imagine if we built like the most amazing cleanest water network system in the entire world. And we collected all the water in Roseville, California, and it went all mm-hmm. over the planet with perfectly clean water and everyone was happy. And then we died and someone put a droplet of poison in our, in the water in Roseville. Yep. And it spread to the, and this thing that was for the better good of the world and now killed everyone because they, they went to our one source and poison. And yep. that's the, that's the, that's the scary, point. that's the scary part. Yeah. Yeah. No, I fully, I fully get that. And that's, you know, parents, when, when parents are like, Oh, what's the, um, you know, what is the curriculum, right? What is the curriculum? They, I hate that word. And, and so they're always looking for a set of like, what we use, you know, coming from this, uh, this producer curriculum or this, you know, publisher or this, whatever. And, and we always just tell them it's, well, whatever makes sense at the time, right? Like there is no, uh, there's no loyalty to a specific, if, if Khan Academy is a great free resource and we're able to use it. Awesome. If there's something, all of a sudden Khan becomes irrelevant or Khan becomes this political, whatever, that's no longer about education and something else comes along. That's better. Like we'll shift. We'll use that. Like there's no, um, loyalty to, uh, to the tools, the loyalty is to the, the promises to those heroes. Like that's where the loyalty is. So of all of a sudden, you know, this, this 
friggin' iPhone that we've got here becomes as, as relevant as a pager and something else becomes more relevant and easier to use and better for us. And there's a real great, like we can adapt, we can shift, right? It's that same kind of thing. Like you're not going to don't, we're not going to sell your soul because you end up losing them. You end up losing the, the integrity of the mission. So, so someone believes they know what school is and they come to you and they say, okay, what is the curriculum? Right. Then you know yeah. that they're, th cause that's something I would probably say to you. Yeah. And so they're coming at you with this paradigm of thought school. that they believe right. that there's going to be this layout from when the kid's five to when he's 17. Can yeah. I see that layout? So mm -hmm. what should they ask you? Um, they should ask more about the, I mean, really it's more about the, the mindset of what can I do? How do I support my young hero? Like, it's really that, like, how do I support, how do I support them? If parents are saying, how do I support them on that journey? What does that look like? And we can talk about what that support looks like at home. Um, and we can talk about, um, how to, how to listen to that young person, how to set the examples for them, all the stuff that we've been talking about. I mean, those are better, those are better questions because then they're just saying they want to get to know who that young person is and who that, what that young person is capable of doing. Like, how do I unlock the genius that is inside there? Because the reality is genius, John Taylor Gatto says genius is as common as dirt. And we fully actually believe that. Um, but the genius looks different from person to person, right? You're, okay. Then, so how do you cultivate would, would a fair question be is like, okay, I want to send my kid to your school, Matthew. Yep. What is the process of cultivating his genius, exposing his genius? Yeah. Well, the problem that most people have is that it's a long tail game, right? They want to go, what is that? And how are you going to show me in six weeks? Right. It's like mm -hmm. fitness. It's like fitness. Mm -hmm. How are you going to show mm -hmm. me in six weeks that I'm the fittest I've ever been and I'm completely ripped and I'm ready to go and I'm, I'm perpetually healthy when the reality is that's a long tail game and that game doesn't end. If you want to stay mm -hmm. healthy, it is a consistency that does not stop. You don't get to stop being healthy at 49 because you were healthy from 20 to 30, you know, to, to 48. And, and so it's that kind of mindset is what we're looking for in them understanding, look, this is a long tail game. We're only going to have them for a certain amount of time, but we're setting this foundation. So during that foundation, it is literally just going to be massive amounts of exposure to different things, massive amounts of experiences, massive amounts of responsibility. That's it. It's high expectations. We're going to put those things in front of them. We're going to give them those high expectations and we're going to, we're going to give them the mindset to go after it. Have you ever seen, um, and I, and I know that sounds it's hard because people are like, okay, you know, give me this step. Give me A, B, C, D, E. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right? yeah That's yeah, what yeah, everybody yeah. wants. Um, yeah. Are you going to give them a saw and a piece of wood and tell them to go build a birdhouse? Sure. Like, like they want to know. Not. Yes, I want to know. You're yes. right. Like I want to know. And so when people are like, yes, that they are you going to do that? Yes. Are they going to be able to code? Yes. Are they going to be able to look? It is. It is literally – it's life. If you have the ability to do it in life, well, then we have the ability to work it in here. We are going to essentially a buffet restaurant, right? Where we're like, look, here is the buffet. All we are asking in this buffet is that you are going to try a number of foods in every single category. 
Um, and we want you to try as many foods as possible. And in terms of a measurement where we're going to ask you to spend X amount of money, right? So for these kids, it's, it's um, X amount of hours of, of actually doing certain amount of work that they can, that they can show that they've done, whether that's reading, you know, books out of a, you know, uh, pages out of a book, whether that's um, taking a, a specific kind of math course, whether that's starting this business, whether that's all of the above mix and match, right? So they got to spend X amount of money trying X amount of uh, foods in all of these categories. And then the longer you do that, then you start to hone it down and you go, okay, I don't like seafood at all. So I'm going to take that off, but I know because I've been exposed to it a bunch. I'm going to take seafood off. I'm still going to spend the same amount of money, but now I'm going to be able to narrow the field, right? But you're having more and more foods that you're trying. You cannot possibly ever pick out your favorite food unless you've tried a shit ton of food. And so we're doing the same thing with them. Like we're just exposure, 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 experience, 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 so that then they can start to go, okay, now I have confidence because I've actually done some shit. All of this exposure and the experiences that we put together, every six weeks, we're doing an exhibition on this campus, an exhibition of the work. And they've got things that they're going to do and they're going to produce. It's a tournament, right? It's their jujitsu tournament. They're going to do this in front of parents. They're going to fucking, they're going to succeed or they're going to fail and they're going to do it publicly. And then they're going to learn from that. And they're going to come back and they're going to do it again. They're going to be exposed to new things and they're going to take on their individual things. And they're going to look through this buffet of courses or projects, or they get to create their own because if it's related to anything they want, like they have all of these things they can do. And they're just going to do that every year over and over and over again with all these systems of character control in place, right? Maintaining high level of responsibility and character for themselves holding their friends accountable to that too. And they're going to do it for as long as they're with us. And then when they leave, they got to keep doing it because they're still alive. Like they just keep going. Right. And they know they can. And they know they can. Yep. It's they that. know they, they can. Will, it's, it's just, if you set the, in, and so our job then becomes to just set the environment in the right way so that those things continue to grow. If you're growing the flower, you fix the environment. You don't fucking beat on the flower to make it grow better. You fix the environment, you fix the soil, you make sure there's sunlight. So our job as the guides is to consistently just be this environment that allows that to just continuously grow. It's exactly that. Have you ever heard, have you ever seen the uh, school in a cloud? Sugata Mitra TEDx talk? No. TED talk. You got to check that out. Um, School in a cloud. School in a Cloud. Yeah, it's an older TED Talk. Um, gosh, might be from like 2009, 2010. I'm not sure exactly when it was. But uh, do you Sugata get nervous Mitra, to do those? To do what? TED Talks. When you do them, do you get scared? Not anymore. Oh. Not anymore. It's um, not anymore. Now it's- I would be so scared. Until you did it 500 times. Oh, yeah, maybe. You know what I mean? It's that. That's all it is. Yeah. And now it's just exciting. Now it's one of the only, you know, it's one of the only things I know I'm really good at. It would be if I got, if I had to go to a, um, you know, if I had to go to a CrossFit competition, I'd be nervous because yeah. I'm not, I know that there's a lot of things that I'm not super good at and there's going to be some guys that are better and, and I'm going to get crushed in some of it. I'm going to feel like that would be more nerve wracking for sure. So, sorry, t- uh, 2009 school in the cloud. I, I yeah, yeah. You off. So no, you're good. Sugata Mitra. And so this, this guy had this experiment and he went and, and obviously the Ted talk will, will do it far more justice than me talking about the talk, but he went and, uh, they did this experiment where they dropped a, I don't remember what country it was. Um, it was a, a impoverished 
nation, third world country. They went and dropped a essentially a kiosk that had a computer on it that had access to the internet. Kids had never seen a computer. They'd never seen internet. Um, they dropped this and they had cameras on there and then they just left it alone. And they said, see you later. The amount of time it took for all these young kids that were seven, eight years old to come in and to figure out how to utilize that, to figure out how to bring music to it and how to record themselves, right? Uh, singing along um, and all this, it was amazing. And they were doing it and not even in their, their particular language, right? And they were learning this other language. They did this. There was no adult there. It was just the the impetus of the young people, the excitement of these young people to go take on this challenge and go, what the hell is this? And to go explore. And then what they were able to do was ridiculous. So we tried to repeat the concept, brought it in. It was only going to be, um, the program was only in English. The computer only had access to English and it was only like a biology, uh, like a college level biology course. And these were a bunch of kids who didn't speak English from a third world nation who were all, you know, like 12 years old, right? They go through, they take this biology course in English and are able to pass a college level examination afterwards in English purely because of how excited they were to just have the opportunity to take this on. If that doesn't talk to you about our default mindset, nothing will. That is our default. Parenting can rip us out of that. School can rip us out of that. Culture can rip us out of that. Our job as parents and educators is to pull people back to those default settings as quickly as humanly possible. Um, I, 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 truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, mm-hmm. one. Uh, 170 shows in first time I've ever quoted the Bible on the show. I remember hearing that as a child, you know, when you hear yep. things that are true and I'm not even a religious guy at, at all, yep. I, you're just like, yep, yeah, that, that one's true. Yep. I, I don't know okay. what heaven is. I don't know what children is, but I know that whatever the fuck that that just said. Yes. Yep. That's it, man. It's getting back to those, those, that basic default setting. No wonder you love going to work every day. Dude, it's the best. It is the best. You are now officially my longest podcast in the history of podcasting. Dude, one out of 170. <laughs> I will take it, man. Or 176, you said. That. Yeah, what, yeah, 176. Yes. Thank you so much, Good. brother, for your time. Dude, anytime. Anytime I get to connect with you is good for me, whether it's publicly, privately, doesn't matter. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate your voice so much, man. And um, I always learn always learn so much from you, too. And so, um, you know, it's all, all same team, man. So pleasure is mine. Uh, if anyone has any questions, feel free to, um, there's his Instagram down on the bottom, um, or DM me and I will get you in touch or send you the links to, to the, to the Acton Academy, the schools and, and everything that Matthew's doing and make sure you check out his podcast, the essential 11, the guests on there are just crazy. Including you. Ah, thank you. Yes, sir. True story.